Welcome to the Nose Boxing Podcast with a happier Martin Theobald. <laughs> he scored the second pen. I'm all right now. <laughs> with me, Andy White, Martin Theobald, and the ever-present... Fucking Harry Kane. My well, actually, he's not. Told you. He's, he's, he couldn't make it. He's uh, busy. Do you know when footballers get done for rape? I always hope it's him. My eyes oh, told you. <laughs> How are you going to sing that? <laughs> no, you cut my first attempt. Well, I've still got it. I can put it to the people. Nah, 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 nah. Uh, oh, really? It's the legit one. Okay, this is the legit one. So, welcome back after our week hiatus. Uh, I'm with you, Andy White. We have Martin, uh, Mike Theobald, Terry Chapadama, and we are ready to dive into the weekend's action. Everything. Everything. Do, do we have any interesting stories from the weekend? What have we done? No, I went to the cinema this morning my kids... What did you Good watch? Fun. Uh, Despicable Me Three, terrible film. Don't go and see it. Um, I've been to see Jersey Boys during the week, so uh, it's kind of alpha male I am. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Racing feminine side. Did it's have, all right. Do you have the flowery T-shirt on? <laughs> it's all right. I enjoyed it. Very have good. Have you seen the South Park episode where they talk about uh, musicals? No. And one of the blokes is like, oh, my wife's going to go to cinema, uh, go go see a musical, and it sucks. They're like, no, man, take her. And it turns out there's subliminal messaging in musicals, subliminal, end quote. And during the musical, it goes there, and he's like, oh, this is fucking shit. And then she offers to give him a blowjob in the car, and he goes, and one of the blokes goes, I know, it's brilliant. Go back and watch it again. So when he goes back, they're like, and and then he goes this way, da 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 da, da blowjob, da da da. <laughs> right. And, yeah, it's a great episode. It's so not subliminal, but anyway. yeah, nah, it's good. I enjoyed it. Um, Very good. Yes. Yeah, so welcome. Uh, that's two minutes of absolute dross talked. Um, I guess we get into the weekend's action. Unless you've so got can- anything. So I Spurs four points above Arsenal. I was just checking the league table from here <laughs> yeah. on the TV. Okay. You're not, they're not uh, going to be impressed, those of those uh, of our audience that hate football. Tough. You know, deal with it. The way things are going, Martin might not show up for the podcast next week. <laughs> There's a real risk of just that. Just buried in a wood somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, so. The Andy White hit team have been hired. <laughs> let's talk Friday night. The Hobson Show from Sheffield. Terry, you were there? Um, Hobson Show. Terry was camera side every time watching it Friday night. I sat texting him and like I could see him on camera texting back some absolute <laughs> filth at times. Yeah, and I could see it, which was amusing. Were you watching as well? No, I was just watching the text go back and forth from you two, and I know what he's referring to. <laughs> no, so, um, so I think everyone knows last year. Dennis Hobson sort of came back, has a deal with Free Sports TV, Sky Channel four two four. Um, I think Channel 95 on all other platforms. Apart from Virgin, they haven't got it for some reason. It's shocking. I don't know. We'll talk to them. Maybe they're playing their own thing. Virgin boxing. I don't know. Virgin porn. (laughs) 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 Um, So... (laughs) 
So no, no, it was it was actually a good show, and like I'm, I'm probably step so niche. <laughs> step away from from all the practical side of things, but just to it was weird because I have a group of friends in Sheffield I built up as a student. So when I was living there, as part of my degree. And then there's also the guys I've sort of got to know through the boxing side of things. And the weird thing was, Friday was the first time actually I realised these groups all know each other. He's <laughs> nearly knocked over his, his long, long men noodles. noodles. Long men it's noodles. it's not just long men, it's ooh, long men. Ooh, long men noodles. <laughs> Terry's got the campest noodles I've ever heard of. <laughs> Wrapped in pink. Yeah. <laughs> but how impressive were those reflexes though? They were. They, they were. were. Still got it. It counted. Obviously those long men keep you sharp. <laughs> Wow, keep you long. <laughs> Get those long men in you. No, so <laughs> so no, so so it, it it was good to be able to tie those two ends together. Um, so it ended up like the Thursday night. I was with Luanessa's dad. I didn't realize that you know that was who his dad was. So you're like bloody hell, small world. Um, in terms of the show, I don't know how many fights they showed. I'm assuming they showed the last. Then showed two. So they showed Watson, the NASA fight, the NASA, and the Josh Whale fight. Yeah. So it's worth just focusing on those, to be honest with you. The others were kind of, you know, standard small hall fights. Be interested to know what the what, what the TV view of the NASA fight was. I thought it was a hell of a fight to watch. So you, you watched it and you thought NASA's got this. Five rounds in, I'd said to my wife, I sat, she wasn't really watching it. I was like, fucking hell, it's Brad Watson's in trouble. Like, but actually it was probably about three rounds in. Like he hasn't got his timing, he hasn't got his distance. He's getting picked apart. I said he's going to get stopped if he's not careful. He's... But you could see though these vulnerabilities because I was right next to Ryan Rhodes. And so, so we're, we're, well, obviously, you know where I sat. Where I sat was right by the cornerman. Yeah. And you could see in their heads, they were like, he needs to keep his hands up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he, keep he, his chin in would have yeah. helped him. Chin, hands up, chin <laughs> down. So he refuses to do this and he started to get clipped more often with the right hand. It was the right hook every single yeah. time. And the problem was... Straight or hook. So, so, so what you started to see was... And give Nasser his due. He dug in and said, well, we'll just make a brawl of it, which didn't suit him. But the ebb and flow in that fight, especially in the second half of that fight, was absolutely brilliant. But you got to round eight and you're like, I think Nasser's done. And you could see, like, Ryan Rose has just sat on the ring steps and he's and, and he's, 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 he can see where it's going because I think it almost mirrors a Ryan Rose career where you saw all the great stuff in the beginning and then it would get quite hairy towards the end. And it was just, will he get out of this with, with the victory? And unfortunately, like, you know, what's it? In the 10th, NASA got dropped twice. The second one was sickening because you could just see he had nothing left to give. Yeah. <clears throat> and it was sad. It was, it was sad to see that, but what a fight, though. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's a fight you could watch again. And you could say to people, when the small hall gets it right, this is what you tend to get. Yeah, because I know you're not a big fan of ways of like the, the British title and the English title and things. But for those lads, like, that was huge for them. For both, they're both like, you know, NASA came down with his uh, challenge belt above his head, which I thought, yeah. no one should ever do that. <laughs> no one should have, you, Those things are pointless. But fine, like, he comes out. So the fact that this for an English title, that's huge for him. And it's huge for Brad Watson, who's got a couple of losses on his um, on his resume. And, From Guernsey, isn't he? Yeah. He's a bit of a mental case as well, isn't he? I love that. <laughs> Apparently, he'd, like, he'd jet skied across the channel, like following a ferry, because he didn't know the way. There's some story like that. <laughs> I'm not even making this up. I mean, look it up. It's something along those lines. There's a great story for the young lad. Didn't and even know jet skis would have a 20 mile radius with a tank. I thought it was something like yeah. that. Maybe it wasn't it, the channel, but he well probably be. got towed. <laughs> <laughs> but had to follow a, follow a ferry because he didn't know the way. 
Um, but no, I thought they came across really well on TV, that fight. Um, but Brad Watson, fair play to him. Because I say, after about three, four rounds, it it could have easily disheartened him. Because he wasn't getting any joy. He was getting picked off at will. Um, but I didn't know a lot about him. But then when he was saying afterwards, he hadn't been in the ring for 15 months or something. It suddenly kind of clicked that it took him half a fight to get any kind of rhythm, any kind of range um, and then when he got that, he started to actually assert himself a fair bit and, you know, through to the end of the fight where he finished him. But it was, it was a really enjoyable fight on TV. So did you enjoy the rest of it then, Terry? Well, well you get to the main event. So the main event was Josh Whirl against Bobby Jenkinson. Um, I think this more, this, will, this will appeal more to the Northern guys. So Josh Whirl's a Steffi Ball fighter. For the record, I don't know how much that watch that Steffi Ball had cost, but... I don't know if I'd be having that in the corner. Do you know what I mean? He's basically got like a massive Cartier Rolex, whatever it was. And that's all you could see when you're looking into the corner. And he made sure it was in camera shot all the time. <laughs> I didn't notice it. it. Didn't work. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> we'll tell Steffi that. So you got Joshua against Bobby Jenkinson. Um, so I was sat next to Dave Allen. Dave Allen thought Jenkinson would have the, the stamina and just that ability to grind down Joshua for the win. And I think it was a good tactic. So, all right, we'll weather the storm. Well, can't punch hard for the whole fight. Who's Dave Allen's favourite podcaster? Uh, I think it's me now. Yeah, Is it? Because yeah. I'm fairly sure he picked me. Where's the proof? Though? You know, I've got, a video, a... I've got a video with it. I could play it here now. That's How a... about we don't do that? <laughs> <laughs> a full night of, if you want the proof. <laughs> a full night of Chapandama charm. I Who, uh, listen, relegated. listen. I, I don't trust a man that comes to the boxing in, in fake polo jogging bottoms. Hey, I liked his, uh, his jacket. He looked smart. He looked in good shape, to be fair to him. He, he did uh, not look like a heavyweight. So I remember we were, we were sat next to each other. I was like, shit, we're about the same weight. He's been asked before if he would fight a cruiserweight, hasn't he? Yeah, I think his frame's too he, thick. He can't. He's, he's, he looks like a guy who's got those those Viking bones. Whereby, <laughs> you know... You Medical get, term. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if you went to the doctor and he went... Uh, you, sir, have Viking bones. There, there's a very high risk that you could set boats on fire. <laughs> <laughs> with and body if you get them. done for anything, anything like pillaging, raping, pillaging, it's not your fault <laughs> because your bones have done it. <laughs> you have your Viking bones. bones. What kind of doctor are you? A Viking specialist Hi, doctor. Dr. Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so, so the whale fight, I, hopefully that came across well on TV as well. That was just two men going to war and how tough is Jenkinson because yes. you, you could hear those punches and you're like how many more of these could he take I think it's the reality that heavy handed guys will eventually drain your but tank. Josh Wales not naturally heavy handed is he like his career shows us that he isn't you know hasn't got many stoppages to his name but I think um, it's, it's you get sometimes you get those guys and it's not that they'll spark you out but it's just that they hit, and it's oh, it's wear a, you down. It's a consistency of power, and people use this in reference. To like you take Groves as an example. Groves won't throw a four punch combination and hurt you with all four punches. There'll be one of them that will obliterate you. The rest, you'd be like, that was nothing. And then that's normally how he takes you I out. I can't wait for the Eubank fight. Oh! <laughs> so 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 in terms of so I thought in terms of televised bass, I thought it was pretty good. Um, there's a young kid, Tomlinson, that boxed after the main event. Uh, Adam or Adrian Tomlinson, I forget. They speak very highly of him in Sheffield. I thought he was a bit lazy, a bit flashy. Came down to the ring with one of his mates just rapping all the way, all the way into you, the uh, ring. I've seen that a few times at small hall shows. It, uh, it's not for me. Uh, it's not for me. Um, really rival out of um, 
Uh, the West Coast, Bristol, I think. Yeah, it, I did it. I, it, it didn't work because it, it just wasn't great lyrically either. I don't think they'd sat down to write the lines. It was like but was, also, the sound systems within small hall boxing don't lend themselves to somebody mm. um, spitting bars or whatever the, yeah. the street term for it is. <laughs> You surprised me that you don't know, yeah. And who, who, who else did all right? Carl Yusuf did all right against Isaac Quay. That was all right. Spitting, Spitting bars, mate. I'm, I'm from the hood. Indeed. I'm from the main streets. <laughs> so, but, you know, I think in ter- but in ter- in terms of a show, it was well attended, actually. So, I mean, and considering you didn't have massive ticket sellers on the bill, that was good going. So, so it seemed to do well. Tables were full. The ringside section was full. Um, I know there's a bit of drama, you know, there's no point in trying to sugarcoat it. There was a bit of drama towards one side of the ring. But when the chair got thrown. Yeah. Right. So I sat watching it at home and at the time, Whale was unloading on Jenkinson on the ropes. Yeah. And you just see this blue flash across the side of the screen. Boom. And I thought, ah, oh, they've thrown the towel in. And then you see uh, like the chair you in. see Terry and a few others get up on the front row and look to where this what I thought was a magical towel. It wasn't. It was a chair had been lobbed against the side of the ropes. Yeah, so what does that mean? Throwing a towel in means that's the end of the fight. What does throwing a chair in mean? It means I wanted to stop. I paid my money. Throwing a table and a ladder and you you just get a t- it goes you know TLC all that. Yeah, but that shit can happen anywhere. It's it's yeah. not even the first time we've ever seen. But it. but credit where credit's due, like it got clamped down on pretty quickly there there were enough serious people in that crowd to just go maybe if you don't want us to come around tomorrow you know we'll just calm down <laughs> have your seat back sit down yeah shut up let's just get to the end of this it's on tv so let's not be foolish here uh i think the right people had the right conversation so you, it was all good why um, does why is it too simplistic to suggest that the reason that violence breaks out in these scenarios is because of the violence and the ri- violence? No, no, no. In, you, in boxing, you tend to have people that can look after themselves. Like, just, just if you took an average football crowd and said, how many of you guys have had a fight in your life? Not that many. It'll probably mirror society, right? At a boxing show, there are people who have had not just fights in the playground. They've sparred. They've boxed competitively. There are people who are pretty fucking handy. So what happens is when you meet handy person A means handy person B, no one's backing down. It gets a bit heated. It goes off. But also, I mean, at football, you don't get that much. People don't go there for the alcohol. At boxing, you know, the alcohol comes hand in hand almost with the, the boxing. And we all know, you know, if you get enough, if you get a thousand people in a room, there's a fairly high percentage chance at least two of them are going to be dickheads. All they've got to do is bump <laughs> oh, yeah. into one another. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All they've got to do is bump into one another and you'll end up with a chair getting thrown. It's, <laughs> but but it's uh. <laughs> so in terms of that Friday, I think I I think that show was better than the first one. <clears throat> Definitely production wise, it was it felt a smoother effort. I think, and this is me being honest, and I've shared these views with Dennis and his team. The challenge is how do you make a sustainable model? Because you look at Steve Goodwin, Steve Goodwin as a model now, right? And you pre- you're you're confident it will work for the next three years. So you can plan with a degree of certainty. There's a question about this from Craig at uh, Fight Um I'll probably tackle it now then, in terms of, I think what Craig was asking was, how sustainable is the Hobson model? Um, and so I separate promoters into the Hobson-Goodwin camp, and they're guys who, they don't make a living from boxing, if that makes sense. So for them, it's easier to do the right thing. I think it's easier to make certain choices which means you can be more fan-friendly. Because 
you correct me if I'm wrong, but there are times Steve's taken a financial hit. Oh, hundred percent for the longer term benefit. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe not even for the longer term benefit, just because yeah. it's for the good of the show. Yeah. Or <clears throat> can I let me frame it as a question? Because okay. you probably know the answer better than I do, um, and it probably it tails somewhat onto what Craig had asked anyway. But I don't know the answer to it. But what is Dennis doing it for? Like, is it um, because from what I understand, he pays the production cost of the show? Um, on behalf of Free Sport, he pays for that production cost and then gets the money back from the advertising revenue, um, plus ticket sales to the event, etc. Now, I don't get how that necessarily is money making. So maybe it isn't, and maybe it's just look, he still loves his boxing, and therefore he's putting it on because he's still got that bug. Um, or is it like a vanity project, or is it that there's a long term aim that you build the product on Free Sport and then hopefully? I don't know, BT Sport come along and say, we've really enjoyed it. I, I, I genuinely haven't got a clue what the answer to it is. So I think it's worth setting the context. So I think there'll be a lot of our listeners who aren't au fait with Dennis Hobson. If you go back to like the late 90s, Dennis was starting off then as he is now. So I can remember being a student in Sheffield and you're going to all these venues like the Octagon and all these small hall venues to watch Hobson shows. He... His big win in boxing was Clinton Woods. So he gambled Clinton Woods to be a world champion and he saw him to a world championship. Um, if you remember, he won the purse bid to host Clinton Woods versus Roy Jones Jr. Yeah. <clears throat> and bear in mind, this is not Roy Jones that fought Macronelli. This is Roy Jones Jr. And he won that purse bid. Um, I, still, I still chuckle at the commentary where they, what, what did they call him? Scrap metal merchant Dennis Hobson, his manager. And I, was, I, I chuckled a bit at that. And I think Gary Shaw was incredulous as to how the hell a scrap metal dealer from Sheffield got the gig. Um, so that's Dennis at the top level. Um, he took Hatton to Vegas. Let's not forget that. So that, that's another feather in his cap. He was also the guy who David Hay made this. Like David Hay was on Hobson shows. You know, I think Carl Thompson was. The Carl Thompson fight was a Hobson show as well. So... All up until that point, he had been on Hobson shows. Anthony Small had been on Hobson shows as well. Spencer Fearon was on Dennis Hobson shows. So Hobson always, always had this model of, I'll do what's good for the sport. Because he was, he was doing shows in Maidenhead and all these sorts of places. So it, it was, it's never been a Sheffield-centric promotion that Dennis has had. And I think Dennis has always been a, you know, let's do, what, let's do what's best commercially. So... Having spoken to him, what he wants, he's, he wants another Clinton Woods moment. Now, how easy is that to achieve? You know, Clinton Woods, I, you've heard me say this before. I think Clinton Woods is the greatest fighter this country has produced that no one talks about. You know, just look at, look at that run he had where you fight Jones twice, you fight Glenn Johnson three or four times, you fight Antonio Tava. At least two of those three are guaranteed Hall of Famers. I would actually put all three of those men in the Hall of Fame. And Clinton Woods has won some, lost some, drawn some. We never talk about him. We always talk about Carl Froch, but I think Clinton Woods would have beaten Carl Froch at whatever weight they would have chosen it. So I think Clinton Woods is one of those rare gems that never gets talked about. But really what Dennis wants is that, you know, build something in Sheffield, watch it grow. But I think it's all based on financial discipline. So it's not going to be a vanity project where you just go, listen, I'm... I, I'm hypothecating five million quid to make this work. I don't think he'd do that. So I know the numbers required to make the shows work and they're definitely in and around that mark in terms of hitting them. I think the challenge will be, could Dennis do 
six to eight shows a year. TV quality shows. Yeah, well, I mean, he's got that relationship with Steffi Bull, hasn't he? Which will help bring in... Uh, Steffi's got some good fighters up yeah. there. Yeah, that, that relationship's important as well. But remember, Steffi also has his obligations. Yes. Um, outside, <coughs> outside the Doncaster of, Dome. And and also, probably for Matchroom now. I think I think Hearn now views him as a useful supplier of material for his northern fights. From uh, what I understand, Steffi's fairly mercenary, which isn't an insult. That's a... yeah. An observation, and so I'm sure he will go to yeah. whoever's going to give him the best longer term benefit. So, so, yeah, so the idea will be here's free sports, let's put on what, what, what we think is best for the fans. If it means promoters working together for the good of it, then so be it. If, if you can turn a Sheffield fight versus a London fight into something that sells, do it. If it doesn't make sense, find a way for it to make sense. So I think I think we'll see a lot of that, but it's an evolving model. I don't think the the foundations for it are nailed yet. I think it's let's build it on old school fundamentals. The show should pay for itself, and then as as they extend, they might gamble on different things. Those bits I don't think have been formed yet. Yeah, because I mean I know it's it's hard work because I know the the general cost of a small hall show is thirty grand ish upwards. Like, and then you have to start recouping the money through your ticket sales. And then to pay for the TV production element of it on top of that, that's going to be, you know, that's quite a large risk. So fair play to him for taking that risk. Um, but I don't see, um, you know, free sport for as much as we should all back it and we should all get behind it. And I will. Um, it's not a big channel. It doesn't have a wide reach to people as yet. And maybe it will in time. Um, but until free sport, perhaps, and the shows start getting promoted bigger and better, I don't see that it can viably sustain itself. And I might be wrong, but um, I'd say just those costs that will be incurred through the production, through the, the cost of a small hall show, which people don't appreciate how much promoters put into that of their own yeah. money just as an outlay to get it up and running. Uh, so when you see fighters going, oh, no, I've got to sell tickets for a show. Yeah, of course you fucking have because the show needs to pay for itself. Um, and and that like, therein lies the challenge. We were talking about this on Friday night where we said, sometimes the best product doesn't make economic sense. No. So sometimes the fights you really want to see, you're like, oh, I'd love to see so-and-so fight so-and-so. You're like, okay, put them as headlines. They don't sell tickets. Yeah. So, you, so you're like, I, I don't really want to take that risk. And fans aren't sympathetic to that, which they should be, because that's the reality of boxing is you need to know that your top four fights could fill the venue. And then everyone else is kind of a lost leader on top of that. Or the top four fights don't, but you stack the undercard of people that will. Yeah. Uh, you know, big ticket sellers that are early on in their career. Someone that can sell 200 tickets is invaluable to any any promoter, TV or otherwise. Look at Dave Allen. Dave Allen has probably helped that Kel Brook card stay afloat, like economically. Don't underestimate how much money that man sells in tickets. And in he South never Yorkshire. did. He never did. Through building himself over social media, he used to sell like 50 tickets or whatever up at Donny Dome. But over time, through being the man that he is, which we all appreciate through his honesty, through his integrity, through, you know, by his own admission, not being the best boxer, but through being a likable geezer. Just being human. Yeah, through being a human being that we can all relate to for his weaknesses and his strengths, he built himself into that commodity that now promoters want okay, to work Enough of the Theobald Allen loving. Yeah, this is... <laughs> all I'm saying is, I'm his favourite, right? Yeah. So... Well, I did tell him I, I'm Lenroy Thomas's favourite, so, <laughs> so it's all good. <laughs> my black, team. my black brother, Lenroy X. Can you imagine? <laughs> Hearn will love it. 
Uh, <coughs> oh shit! I like the but, idea. You have to tag team at, like the same time, and yeah, it has to be WWE rules when you two are in the ring. Other than <laughs> well, like like the men and women tag team, do yeah. they now? <laughs> but but you know, as a note, look, I think everyone should get behind it because the one thing I do like about Dennis is he's very old school. So where where Hearn will do something because it makes economic sense. There's certain fights. If you ask Dennis, would you like to see him against him? Even if it sold tickets, he'd be like, that doesn't excite me. You know, there's a certain brand that Den would like to see, and it is, it's that kind of, you should be tested in the ring. Yeah, because good luck to him, because yeah. they've shown four show, uh, sorry, four fights on TV now. So two from the Cameron Sheedy yeah. fight and two from Friday. Three out of those four have been fun, like really, really good quality, well-matched fights. And that's all as boxing fans we can ask for. Yeah. We'll move on to like Dortikos Gassiev later, which is two elite level lads battering the shit out of each other with real intent and quality. But we all appreciate, <clears throat> you know, you're not going to get that at this level. But what they've done is taken lads that are well-matched and displayed that yeah. for an English title, for a British title. And those fights are going on up and down the country every week and people don't get to see them. We now yeah. do with this. And I'm, I, I've enjoyed both shows that he's put on. Right. Um, just to give context to the... Uh, Craig of Fight Talk's question that you referenced earlier the Hobson Promotions outfit what is your opinion on their longevity and setup? they laid out uh, money for graphics posters designed for an event where two of the main names pulled out is free sports viable as a business model do you want to well, nothing you, you, well, just to add a strap line to that don't underestimate how respected Dennis Hobson is in Sheffield and people want to see him succeed because there's a generation that remember what he brought to Sheffield so they're like, if we can trust someone to bring back the glory days, because remember, Sheffield is a fighting city, right? That the the Ingle Gym is synonymous with British boxing in the last 30, 35 years. We can all agree on that. And so Sheffield as a city is it wants it wants to be that preeminent center of boxing again. Maybe they can fight for some more hotels then. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah. I, I, I too have question marks over the longevity and how viable it is. But it's not, you know, they're not negatives. It's just only time can tell us whether that works or not. Um, and for all the will in the world, I hope it does. Because, look, it's that's the kind of level and quality of boxing that we can all sit and enjoy on a Friday night. Because one of the options is actually that one of the, one of the platform players, call it Amazon, call it Google, call it YouTube, says, we like this Hobson product. It's people going to war pretty much consistently. You come and organise it on our platform. You have a budget. There you go. Go and do it. So there are a number of ways it could go. But I think the key thing is is that that financial discipline of... It needs to wash its face for a, a year. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And then I think people will buy into it. Okay. Before we move on, um, do you want to do an advert for Ooh Long Men Noodles at all? Ooh, Long Men. We like them. <laughs> chicken flavour. I noticed that there is nothing that even references chicken on the ingredients list. <laughs> Just a ton of e-numbers. <laughs> um, oh, long men! Get them inside of you! <laughs> <laughs> this isn't going to download well in China, I'm is it? Waiting. If we can get him to laugh at the right time, once see noodles come out of his nose. <laughs> lovely, lovely. If only this is a visual product. Chicken flavour noodle. We'll what is it? <laughs> I'm trying to avoid doing any kind yeah, of stereotypical uh, well, accent. I, because... I wasn't. I was, just, I was just drinking and just came uh... out. <laughs> Will Lawrence Acoli ever establish himself 
at a higher level. Well, we're jumping into this. Good enough. Oh. Says create a fight and talk. Reference the Akoli Chamberlain. Okay, we're we going in the deep end here. Let's do okay. it. Okay. Um, so I paid my money. So let's start from the top, to be honest. I mean, I really, I really doesn't help with the question, but like, yeah, give, give us a lowdown of the fight. The result so, for those who okay, didn't watch so, it. So I think it's all, always good to compare this show. Bear in mind that this is what I call a low-level matchroom show, right? With a high-order Frank Warren show. Now, for Coley Chamberlain, you came into the building. You didn't get passed without air style. You know I mean, you had to go through the metal detector and you got searched. Yeah, you're back. You know I mean, all, everything basically, you had to reveal everything before you got in. <laughs> Was there any long men there? Yeah, noodles everywhere. Everyone has uh, their long men noodle. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're best we're, sponsor us. To be honest, mate, we're just looking for weapons. This is a fucking weapon. <laughs> WMD in my pants, we are. <laughs> so, Please, sir, we'll have to go escort you just, out. Just go through. Weapon of ass destruction. <laughs> so, weapon of ass destruction. Wow. Yeah, so so in <laughs> essence, right, so so you walk through standard O2, security, you go upstairs and you've got the police. You know the police you see at the airports? That's who you, you pretty much had up there. You've got stewards floating around. You've got security. It's visible and you're going, I feel quite safe here. And bear in mind, I say a lot of shit on this podcast. <laughs> right? So all, all help is appreciated. And you go in, and there's stewards everywhere. It's ordered, it's structured. There are no, there are no logistical issues here. Like Matchroom run a pretty tight ship, and you have to be impressed with that because when you've been to the Copper Box, you fancy your chances of buying a ten pound ticket and getting to ringside every time. <laughs> now I don't know if people realize. We'll, we'll touch on the fights in a second, but there was a fight uh, at the far side of the O2, right? And you saw it kick off, like properly kicked off, and it just got dealt with instantly. Bang, 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 boom. A few drinks got thrown, but after that, bang. But do you know why? Because they employed decent security. Yeah. And basically, they had the stewards just, just marshalling that area, and everything calmed down again. And you went, if this had been a Warren show, that would have spread across the whole yeah. arena. Like, you didn't see it on TV at all. Whereas really? I remember back to that Copper Box show where they showed the entire riot going on at ringside. And the MC goes, you don't think you're fucking hard? <laughs> oh, God, that was Why don't you get in the ring? I'll fight every one of you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, no, kudos to Matchroom. Like, forget the quality of the main event for a second. For a ticket buyer... That was a decent event. And I'll tell you why it was decent. So as an example, I walked in with Craig from Fight Talk, walked in with Dan Aziz. You're bumping into Craig Richards, O'Hara Davis. Pretty, you, you had a real opportunity here to be around the people you watch on TV without that massive fight atmosphere where everyone's segregated. It was, it was like a, it was like a blowing up next gen really, wasn't it? Yeah. That's what it felt like. And everyone was floating around. Like a next gen on steroids. Yeah. It was nice. It was a great arena. Like one in Sheffield. And, <laughs> and for the record, I don't know what the official number of tickets sold was, but you 8, could... 8,000, I read. Don't know how accurate that is. I did, what's the capacity of the O2? Uh, about 16. But they shut the top tier off, didn't they? That's the one above the boxes. Mm. So they filled the what I call the bowl bit was full. Yeah, yeah. So they shut the bit above the boxes entirely, from what I understand. Yeah, you wouldn't want to sit there <coughs> anyway. Oh no, it's a terrible view. Yeah. 
But but yeah, so 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 the bowl bid. So I'm guessing they probably did close to 10k in tickets. But you know what? That's sensible. When we see, I don't know, say the copper box half empty, you sit there and think, why didn't you black out? I don't know an entire section or areas of it so that you squeeze all the people in so it looks better on TV because ultimately. That's what Matchroom are very good at, is making a product that when you sit at home and watch it, irrespective of what's going on in the ring, there are certain people that will watch it on TV and go, that looks like great laugh. Like, I want to get to that. And that's what it looks like. Irrespective of the fact that top half was shut off, you wouldn't have known that watching it on TV. Um, and they make that product that people would have sat at home and been impressed with, regardless of what went on in the ring for the main event. Yeah, um, logistically fantastic. And I know we give... Eddie Hearn and Matchroom shit on the show a lot, so you got to also praise them when they deliver. Oh, that's still coming. Yeah. But in terms of event organization, production values, solid. No, you can't really knock them for that, so well done on that. They've got a model that works. Yeah, and it's, they, they've refined it to the point where it's very, very hard to match that. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's talk about the Chamberlain. Do you want to talk, well, do you, do you want to talk about the rest of the card? Curly. Well, it's, I've got a load of questions about. I mean, you can start. You can start uh, with uh, yeah. uh, so, Belotti Jones if you want. Well, or well, well, to, to be fair, Belotti Jones. The only highlight for me was we sat next to. I think there were some young Somali ladies, and then it was that much of a dull fight. We're just taking bets on which, which fight would, which round the fight would end in. I lost, although I did appeal because it ended just at the beginning of the sixth. And I said, <laughs> I said it would be done by five. <laughs> So yeah, so, so so some random young lady won. So, so were, she could call so herself wrong, the boxing expert. But you still you still fought the fact that mathematically you were incorrect. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> you yeah. still contested no, no, no. it. Mathematically, you were wrong, <laughs> but you still contested it. No, but it was that like no, 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 like no, no, no. But it was like welcome to our world, <laughs> Somali lady. <laughs> no, but it, it was like a it was like the fight ended in round five point one two. I'm like, you got to round that down to five. <laughs> <laughs> I know my mathematics. You got to round that down to five. <laughs> what were you betting? Couldn't take a dive in the fifth. Where have you got heard, a taker? He this heard week? that Terry had beaten him, so he came out in the sixth. Literally jumped onto the floor <laughs> after a second. No, um, I'm trying to think. Right, so, so, so the block. One thing I will say that, like, he must hit really hard because once Jones felt one of those right hands, yep. he was just like, oh, they didn't tell me about this. And then he was just looking for a way out. So he, Belotti clearly has something like that, that sort of na- natural power. But is he in the right camp to execute on that? Because when you start fighting those guys at 126, you know what they're doing. I don't think he's going to have the the freedom to do what he's been doing recently. Okay, then, um, if you've got nothing more to say about Belotti Jones, Boatsy Joseph. No, let's touch on Ted Cheeseman against Carson right. Jones. Fine. We we all thought this Far was risky matchmaking. Try and organise things. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to have a little bitch? Do you want to have a little bitch? A little moan? You all right there? No, no. Come on, you know? let's talk about the fight that no, you no, no, want to no. talk about. We let you have a birthday weekend. No, don't forget that. Right, <laughs> well, anyway. You know, you you got you got to sow your oats. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, 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 you should, you should oh, be a long man, he like it. <laughs> or oh, not so long, man. <laughs> It was cold and stuff. Oh, I took like fucking <laughs> no. Cheeseman, Carson Jones fight. No, so, because we said it where we're like, what the hell's Hearn doing putting Cheeseman in with Carson Jones? Remember the Ben Hall fight? And I think we got a couple of rounds in and we thought, not again. I think most people thought, Jesus, not again. I think Carson Jones, he'd come in four pounds overweight. Yeah. Um, and so they're probably, 
there's two schools of thought on that, aren't there? One is he's not trained very hard for this and he's not up for it. And the other is, you know, he doesn't give a shit about the weight. Like he's coming in there to do some damage. Um, so fair play firstly to Cheeseman for going ahead with the fight. Cause there are a lot of fighters that would have said four pounds is too big a discrepancy um, to be taking that fight. There were a lot of fighters that would have done that. Um, so I do think fair play to him. Because you're looking at, what, 3% of your body weight that he was missing out on in that weigh-in. So I, I do, uh, you know, I respect achievement for doing that in the first instance. But now he, so you're watching the first couple of rounds and you're like, oh, okay. And then Carson Jones just started taking him into deep water because for as old as Carson Jones is, his ability to flow from one sequence of punches to another is unbelievable. And if you're a young boxer, you do not watch someone like Carson Jones and go, he's a low-level pro in America. And he's probably the most skilled person on the whole O2 card. And he was just, he just kept going to Cheeseman's body every time. And you're watching this going, he's going to break him down at some point. And Ted would come back. And we didn't, we'd never seen this toughness in Ted. Or we, well, he's ne it's never been called upon. And watching Cheeseman fight back... I mean, I got to round eight in that one, and I said to myself, even if even if he doesn't win this, even if he gets jobbed, whatever, we've seen the Ted Cheeseman we thought was always there. So congratulations to him. I thought the scorecards were disgusting. Um, but one of them was ten nil, wasn't it? Essentially, well, you know, it was ten nil plus the the point taken off. Yeah, and that was embarrassing actually. And I said at the time, these scorecards were written yesterday. They were agreed upon yesterday, and. There's no basis on which you could give Ted Cheeseman all 10 rounds. It ultimately doesn't matter. Ted Cheeseman won it anyway. Like No yeah. one's disputing that. Um, but you do feel for Carson flying back over to America thinking, I suppose he doesn't care about yeah. his record these days. It's almost irrelevant. But it didn't yeah. It didn't reflect what he put into that. Fight. No, it didn't. And, it, and, and what it didn't do is it didn't reflect how well Ted Cheeseman did. Because I think when you make it look like a 10-0, you're basically going, nah, Jones, Jones wasn't up for it or whatever. When in reality, had they given a more realistic scorecard and you'd have gone, shit, Ted Cheeseman won there and he'd been in tough. <clears throat> so I didn't think it did him justice, but we talk about ticket sellers. The yep. noise the Cheeseman group made. Insane. Uh, so, so you know Hearn will keep hold of him because for a London card, Cheeseman must be good for at least five, 600 tickets. Yeah. Minimum. Yeah. I like Ted Cheeseman. Like, yeah. He's not technically a superb boxer. I don't think he's ever going to win a world title. He's not, you know, the best coming through out of a group within Matchroom. But that kid likes to fight. And, like, he could have made that a lot easier for himself yesterday, but he went in there to fight. And I think it was an initial... It, it looked like an initial shock that actually Carson Jones is the first real live body that we've had for him. And it took him maybe four rounds to, to get his head around that. Uh, he was getting picked off. Carson Jones, of course, he ran out of steam. He's older. Um, but I think you could put Cheeseman in with any... Uh, Cheeseman's a kind of fighter that needs a manager. Because I'd imagine if you just went straight to Ted and said, right, you're going to fight so-and-so next week, he'd sign the paperwork immediately. Yeah. Um, and that's an... I, I love that out of a fight. And like, he, he's fun to watch. Like He's, just, he's in a good tear-up in nearly every fight. I'd love to see him and um, a senior Byfield, whether yeah. or not that can be made. Mickey Helliot manages Byfield, um, but that would be a cracking fight. Absolutely brilliant. Andy Scott asks, has anyone ever seen Carson Jones and LL Cool J in the same room? <sighs> I've not. 
I've not. I can't confirm one or the other. You know, they're not the same person. But um. <laughs> clearly, that's what you can. <laughs> um, right, Terry. What do you want to talk about next? <laughs> Can we talk about Stacey Copeland now? <laughs> we're just, just going to suck off the Cody Chamberlain fight. I've decided that this doesn't suck it off. It. Yeah, just suck mean? it off. Oh right, sack it off. Right, okay. Oh, right. What about Longman? Yeah. <laughs> 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 <Little> advert. So, <laughs> so that ooh, Longman from Nonshim. Nongshim. Yeah. Nongshim. Yeah, mate, I think that's my mice actually. Noshim, Noshim off. From Noshim from, Noodles. From, Ooh, long men. From Noshim Long Time. Chicken flavour. Now, without any chicken. This is the point where we're going to get the tweets that go, guys, you weren't that good this week. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, understandable. Right, you, you can talk so, about whoever you want, but yeah. we are talking about a Okay, no, no. Uh, so so let, let's talk about Boatsy, Jordan Joseph. Um, So Jordan Joseph... Don't know the don't know the guy, but you look at his record. You got beat by Chris Hobbs, so that puts you at a certain level in my eyes. I can give you some background on Jordan. He's um, I've seen him various times. I was there when he got beaten by Chris Hobbs. That was, you know, Jordan's team thought he won it and they could have made a point for it. I didn't. I thought he lost, but uh, it was one of those. It was maybe a sixty forty fight when you look back on it. To me, for Hobbs, Jordan to me has always been too relaxed in the ring. Like he. I've always thought with him, like, you need someone that's going to really push you before we see what you're about. And we found out what he was about, and it wasn't really very good. Because he was trained by his dad or something, wasn't he? Uh, no, he his old man used to be a boxer. Um, oh. I don't, he doesn't train him, but uh, th- there's a story, a backstory to that. But you watched it, and so, so like I said, I'd, I had a brief understanding of Jordan Joseph, but I also understood what he was there for. And it's like he didn't realise what he was there for. So he goes in there and he tried. He, he started off box like he expected to win. Well, he would. He genuinely went there with the intention to win. He was so. That's what made it a little bit more interesting is that most of Buatzi's opponents won't go there with that intention. At least he went there, and that gave Buatzi the opportunity to actually show some some different sides that we hadn't seen before in, in two rounds. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And the problem the problem was you could hear Boatsy's shots, but if, you couldn't hear Joseph's shots. No, I say Jordan, I tweeted it just before the fight. He doesn't hit hard enough to keep Boatsy off him. And that proved to be the case. Um, but, you know, fair play to Jordan. He went out there to win. I never thought really that he, he realistically had a chance of doing so because he just, he can't punch hard enough for that weight division. He can't. Um, and Boatsy can, as <laughs> it turns out. He can, he can, do it, do an awful lot. He's a, he's a good talent, Boatsy. So the word the word I came out with at the end of that was he's solid. So he will be a guy that you look at him and you look in terms of your Mike McCallum's or even like in the British term your Nicky Pipers. You know guys who are solid. You say jab seven out of ten, power seven out of ten. All of it will be seven out of ten, and his challenge will be. Can he be creative in knitting all of that together so the whole is greater than the sum of its parts? Because that's what he's going to need. Because at 175, I think there are people who punch harder. I think there are people that move quicker. I think there are people who are cleverer in the ring than he is. So can he take his attributes, put them together? Because I like him. And I liked him in the amateurs because in the amateurs, he just overwhelmed you. Like You had nowhere to go. Like, people would get in and think they had a plan. Oh, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I'll slip, dip, and roll, and all that stuff. But he, he always caught up with you. And once he started to catch up with you, he just started to break you down. So he's good in that sense. But I think at the elite level, you need something special, and we haven't we haven't quite identified that yet. Um, just a quick one. 
as a quick aside, one of the things I did find interesting was Craig Richards watching that fight. And you know when you can, <laughs> do you know when you see someone someone's brains ticking, going, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, why not?" I'm not saying that's what Craig said. What I'm saying is Craig had that look in his eye and he had that energy about him that said, that fight can't be far off happening. And if that's the case, I'd then be worried for Jake Ball. Because if Hearn's going to... because And we'll touch on this, I think, in greater depth when we get to the main event. Just don't troll, all right? Okay, I won't. If Eddie Hearn's going to start looking at these British beef concepts as a way of taking the next-gen thing to the next level then you're going to be looking for more of these sorts of fights where you can have two people round about the same point of their career at the same weight going at each other. And Richards versus Boatsy would be a sensible one. Um, that kind of leaves Ball on the outside looking in. Well, Stephen Mark asks, does Boatsy need a fight to fight someone at British level next? Perhaps Burton? Seems level. It's too early for no, it. Too early. It's too early. What is he now? He's like 5-0, and 6-0. Oh, oh. Like, as much as we don't want to keep seeing him beating people that he levels above because there's only a limited shelf life for doing that. <clears throat> also at that level, you know, he's, he doesn't need to be up at British level early doors because that'll be a tough fight for him. People might mock the likes of Frank Buglioni. Terry. Who would do that? Uh, you know, you might mock the likes of Hosea Burton, but those are going to be far too hard for a lad or not far too hard. That's probably the wrong they're far too hard a fight for a lad who's at his stage. He still needs to learn a few more pro styles. Um, what you need is some fighters that are on the way down, not fighters that are there to peak and win. And the issue is they have what he has. And they've shown it at the top level. Yeah. Plus they've shown that toughness on top of it. And that isn't what we've seen out of Boatsy yet. Um, you don't need to be seeing him in at British title level fights. Not for another year or so. Like You just want to see him... I'd like to see him in with a, a Joel McIntyre. Um, Joel, who's a former English champion, Joel needs a, a route back to, to try and get into the British title scene. I'd love to see that fight. And Miles Shinkwin, he's fighting for the English soon against Liam Conroy up in Preston, I think. Um, those kind of fighters, so the ones that are around the English title scene, the English title level, get him in with some of those. The loser out of uh, Shinkwin versus Conroy would be perfect for Buatsi. Um, YouTube Scientist asks... Can each of the podcast members tell us the most libelous fact about Frank Warren? <laughs> the most outrageous and slanderous, the better. Thank you. I'll leave uh, this one to Martin. Martin is the PhD Martin. expert. He is, he is an expert. <laughs> leave it to the person they've already got the email address for, because uh, that makes life easier for it them. Makes, it, yeah. does. Um, it does. I, could, I, I think probably can... I, I would, I'll, I'll tell you... I've got one as well. I'll tell you something... <laughs> That won't, you know, that's just a fact. I have been sued by Frank Warren and his people. <laughs> that's true. There's but, nothing slanderous, nothing libelous. That's just a fact. Well, you haven't been sued. You've been threatened. Sorry, I was threatened to be. So, I don't so, know the so what you, you, yeah, you are now going to get year. sued. Ah, fuck about. <laughs> well, this will be factually correct by next week. <laughs> <laughs> I no. have had legal threats through. Which was the year. Which was the year. The year when Martin had to behave himself. Yeah. He's off his tag now. <laughs> he's still on the register. So one of my favourite stories was, and so th this Seriously, is... he's on the register. This is one of those... <laughs> no, so, so, so this is one of those stories I want to really think is true. You thought she was 15. Fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you in a minute. I'll see all of you. <laughs> Nero's boxing podcast crumbles as all three sue each other. 
Just triangular. Like, like reservoir dogs. You know, they've always got the guns at each other. No, so, so my favourite story was when Tyson was in the UK and he's, he's, he was upset with Frank Warren because he owed him money. So apparently Frank goes to Tyson's hotel room and basically Tyson puts hands on him, right? We, we should, you know, and you'd expect Tyson to get the better of it, right? So when he's done doing that, apparently he told his bodyguard, take his trousers off. Now, this is all alleged, so I don't <laughs> want to get sued. So yeah, so, so, so Tyson was like, take his trousers off, I want to fuck him in the ass. No. In the hotel room. I think someone got hold of Mike because Mike's heated at this point. So someone had to grab Mike. Mike, you can't do that. We're not in America. Yeah, we're not going to get out. But apparently Warren had his trousers down. There was nothing he could do. <laughs> That's true. I remember, funny enough, I remember um, I was uh, when I first got to Germany with the army. There was a there was a lad there that they were chasing him around the block as part of his initiation. <laughs> And they pinned him down. And this big fat lad, he came up and he was like, right, fucking hold him down. Pull his fucking pants down. I'm going to fuck him, right? <laughs> so he's face down on the floor. They've got his fucking pants down, <laughs> splitting his legs apart. And he starts whacking his cock off his back, <laughs> off of his bum cheeks. And this lad's like, ah! Ah! <laughs> Andy, are you reliving that? <laughs> he's like, I'm going to fuck him. Then it's like, ah, got you. Like the threat of rape. You know how the army adverts now to get people who in are all like, you can be homosexual, you can be transgender, you're all getting raped by Big Dave over in Germany. Don't matter what you are. Horrendous. Horrendous. Wow. Yeah. I don't think YouTube scientists expected that answer, did he? (laughs) That's value for money, mate. There you go. His name was Frank, but it wasn't Frank Warren. Which Frank was it? Was it my kind of Frank, Eddie? <laughs> <laughs> right, can we finally talk about Chamberlain and Coley? Is that all right with you? Yes, and I know Umar's going to be listening to this, right? So, so Umar's told me he, he wants to hear my take on it. Right, Craig so, asks, can Coley... Uh, yeah, Craig's question's irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we, well, at least okay. we know, Craig. Sorry, Craig. You tried. Yeah. yeah. No, no, tried but, a couple but, of times. So, so one, one thing I will say, and uh, we need to give credit off. to... I'm going to give credit to Umar Sadiq because him and I had a phone call and he said to me, I won't take anyone's money. If you really think Isaac can beat Lawrence, put your money up. And because he said, he said it to me, he said, Lawrence wins this easily. And, he was, and his exact words to me were, there is nothing Isaac can do to Lawrence. Nothing at all. Lawrence will be ready. Lawrence could beat him right now. And I think Umar was probably the only voice. Umar and Dan Aziz. So shouts out to Dan Aziz, who I saw there yesterday. Excuse me. They were the only two who were adamant that Lawrence would win, but they're in his camp, so I guess they see it. Uh, you know, I'm in South London, and I heard people. I mean, there, there are a lot of there are a lot of Chamberlain zealots out there who were like, "Yeah, Isaac would win." And you know, I've said this on the podcast. I think Isaac's a great young man. I think Lawrence is a great young man. And them fighting, I wanted the best man to win. My view was. Isaac wasn't in the fight. I don't think, even even if there'd been no holding, even if the referee hadn't been a complete and utter cunt, I don't think Isaac had anything in him that was going to trouble Lawrence that night. The referee was an absolute disgrace. Yep. The first knockdown was never a knockdown because if it was a knockdown from a punch, you have to accept it was a rabbit punch, right? 
if it's a rabbit punch, then it's a foul, so it can't be a knockdown. The referee got that wrong. He got the point deduction wrong because you, you, unless it's a severe foul, you have to give a warning. And right. that wasn't yeah, a severe foul. Give us foul. a breakdown of how the fight transpired. Well, well we are. But, but you have to understand that for, for those who watched it, it hinges on, on these first two rounds where Isaac ends up being so far behind on the scorecards that after two rounds, he's four, he's four rounds behind. Right. So, yeah, because Ben um, LRFC asks, why did Chandler perform the way he did? We'll did come strategy on to that. go out of the window after his first knockdown? Let's come on to that. But we, we need to touch on this because this is contentious. That was never a knockdown initially, number one. Number two, the warning had to come before the point deduction. Number three, how the hell do you shove someone across the ring and you're not warned and you don't have... A, I mean, the referee was abysmal. If you're a boxer, you'd never let Steve Gray officiate your fight because he was weak and he was pathetic. And the problem with that was you had a very volatile crowd. Steve Gray could not walk through South London. Uh, right. I need so, you to explain so what he did, to me what the, what so the problems were with the referee. Akoli at one point, they're in, they're in a clinch. And then Akoli just throws him. Because Akoli's a far bigger man. Yeah. He must be three inches taller. And he's just, he looks a different weight division. Like he just that's, shoved him. Yeah. So he just shoved, like throws him, shoves him to the ground. Not with any punch, not with any intention to... A two-handed shove. Yeah. To shove him and like make him lose his balance and push him down onto the floor across the ring. Almost like a school playground it looked like. You know, if like you had a bigger bully just taking on a little kid and like just throw somebody across. You can't do that in a boxing <laughs> ring. You can't. It's not allowed. And yet... I don't even think and you that, got a warning. You didn't get a warning. The ref wasn't strong that, And enough. that class is a knockdown. No, no, no. No, no, no. Right. Um, no, no. But, the, the, the knockdown was essentially, Lawrence throws a jab, Isaac slips, he knows the right hand's coming, he drops his head. <clears throat> Lawrence's arm, at best his thumb grazes the back of Isaac's head here, right? That's a foul automatically. That's the back of the head for those yeah. who can't see, which is all of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So as soon as, so as, soon as he, he hits him, like... And then the knees tangle, right? So Isaac's off balance. He can't regain his balance, essentially, because of the knees tangling. I'm not saying he didn't get hit with anything. What I'm saying is it wasn't a legitimate punch in the contact area, so it can't be a knockdown. The ref was weak because the ref should have seen that and the ref should have said no knockdown, but he bottled that. And then to jump straight into giving someone a point for holding. And Isaac was holding because that's what you do if you feel a bit dazed or a bit unsure. You hold for a little bit, but he wasn't the worst offender. They both should have been warned before the point was taken off. So within, within the first couple of rounds, the referee's weakness has given Isaac a mountain to climb. Is the referee obliged at any point to warn you before he deducts a point? Yes. And had he already warned no. you? No. No, there was no... You have to give a public... Well, you can't, like, whisper it. Yeah. You know, as, a, as you break into box up, you can't go, stop doing that, mate, or else I'm going to take a point off. Yeah. You have to publicly warn them yeah. so that people know on the next defence you will get a point taken off. So He what, just neglected to do it. And what repercussions will there be for, for the referee, None. given that he hasn't refereed it properly? None. But if you're a boxer now, you don't want Steve Gray doing your fight because you now know he's weak. Under pressure, he's weak. Howard Foster would have managed that a lot better and Howard's not a great referee but Howard's a seasoned experienced top level ref who would have just said to both of them if you're not going to box tonight I'm going to just keep deducting points off you he threatened holding. to throw them both out yeah, and then they carried on doing exactly what they would do. You know, like if you've got a child and you go like, "Stop that! You're getting sent to your room," and then they keep doing it, and then you give them sweets. 
But that's basically what what transpired. So we're at the end of round two, and Chamberlain has He's now so been pushed over and, and rabbit down. punched and and had a point taken. So now is it four points down at the end of round two? Yeah. Then now now you're looking for miracles essentially. It's but, a ten but, round fight. Yeah. So, so right. what I want to be clear about is I'm not here saying Lawrence didn't deserve to win. Okay, let's be clear about that. Lawrence deserved to win. 100%. What I am saying is that referee for, for the magnitude of the fight was weak. And he shouldn't be allowed to officiate at anything that involves adults. The problem is this was um, two lads who, being frank, are like, they're not even area. Well, they are area level because yeah. Isaac Chamberlain yeah. won it. Yeah. But that's what they are. They're probably like area level cruiserweights that have been upsold onto an O2 headlining slot. And so, you know, if you're the board, who do you put on to doing this? You then attach a WBA Continental title to it. Like how Steve Gray got this, I'm not really sure. But it's like a lower, it's essentially a lower level like FA Cup game or whatever. But you know there's going to be a lot of local rivalry there and it could get quite heated. So you would bring in a decent style ref for it. Uh, You know, so like a semi, an FA Cup semi-final involving Sheffield Wednesday and Sheffield United or something. Yeah, you'd give it a decent ref and that's what they didn't have. (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah, so that's, you know, that's right. But but now let's come to the real nub of it. Isaac gamely fought for 10 rounds. So we know mentally Isaac's not weak. There was no strategy. uh, When you say gamely fought, like, Look, I'm, I'm not going to slag off either of them because I actually think it's vastly unfair that they were headlining the O2. And I don't mean unfair as like, oh, it's so unfair, they got the chance. I mean, it's unfair on them that they had to take that pressure on of being the headline act. Um, and I think Isaac froze somewhat with that more than Lawrence did. But to say that Isaac gamely fought, I don't even think he did, to be honest. No, he, know, I'm going to give him that because, and I've said this to people before, you can look at pictures of Lawrence Ocoli and he looks one way. You stand in front of someone who's six foot six, and I think he lies about his height. He's probably taller. And he has, he has the arms of a man who's seven foot four. Yeah. So, so, so actually, <laughs> once Lawrence extends his arm, it's a long way in. We'll come on to that. But like, my point is that Isaac didn't throw the right hand until the fifth round. It took him till then. And like... As much as you could say maybe the strategy was we're going to wait until the latter rounds and then really go for it, he didn't really do that. And so that wasn't the strategy at all, it turns out. And so why didn't he ever throw that right hand for the first three, four rounds and at least try and get the attention and the respect? So I can answer that. Like, these things are all done in camp. So we've used this expression before. You're asking a fighter to do something he wasn't taught to do. Yeah. And it's like they it's It's like... Team Chamberlain had had so much contempt for Lawrence that they hadn't prepared for Lawrence. They just said, you know what? We'll get Richie Riakpour in. He's about the same height. Spar him. It's done. But actually, what you needed to do was the same thing that Brian O'Shaughnessy would do. Break Isaac, no, break Lawrence down into various small components and go, these are the things he does to be the fighter that he is. And all you do is you train how to deal with each and every one of those. So, so when you see it in the ring, you've done it hundreds of times before. He should have known how to get in. You know, he wasn't he wasn't really rolling coming in. And he, what upset he was me was slipping the, on the outside, not rolling on the inside. Which is cool. If you want to slip on the outside, fine. But you've got to come back on the inside yeah. to work, and you've got to come behind a shot with that as well. But. What worried me the most is they weren't policing that contact. So if you look at Lawrence's performance, I want to give him credit for this. It was Klitschko-esque. 
Score your point, lean on him. Score your point with a double jab, lean on him. Make him do the work. And that's what ended up happening in that fight. And it was almost as if Team Chamberlain hadn't prepared for that. Whereas Team O'Coley had. There, there wasn't anything Isaac could do. They'd gone through everything. They said, listen, we've gone through it. We've been meticulous. But there were times, I think, from the sixth round onwards, on the many occasions where they were broken up by the referee, <coughs> told to go and stand back a bit. Just little glimpses from Isaac Chamberlain over to Ted Bambi in his corner with the look of someone that says, I, I genuinely don't know what to do here. Like, whatever we've been doing for the last eight weeks was wrong. Yep. And like now I've realized that and I don't know what else I can do. And it was that look, like it was only half a second look of like, I don't know what to do. I said that in round four. I said it to my friend Ed. I said, Ed, Isaac doesn't believe in anything he's done in this camp yeah. because you saw him trying different things. So one of the things I look for in a boxer is how consistent are you when the same thing comes at you, right? So if you throw a jab at me 10 times, I should be able to deal with that jab the same way about 70% of the time, right? Because it's the same fucking jab at the same fucking target. Isaac was looking for different ways to do things. There wasn't a consistency that said, I'm going to take his jab away, counter him, take his jab away, count. There wasn't anything that indicated there was a plan. Now, I think if you stick Isaac in a camp, even with like with a Dominic Ingle, with an Adam Booth, there would have been a plan. And even if he had lost, we'd have understood what that plan was. We'd have gone, actually, do you know what? We knew what he was trying to do. Lawrence was just too good. They just stuck Isaac in there like he came off the street. So what do you do? Do you trust your corner now? Because I think after that, it's hard to trust your corner because I'm on a podcast telling Isaac stuff and he's probably there and he will listen to this. He'll probably go, what? Because I've had chats with Isaac and I've said, you need to to understand who you are in boxing. You've got to understand Evander Holyfield because Evander Holyfield was an undersized cruiserweight as well. What Evander was good at was negating what the bigger men had but he could always work with intensity once he got the opportunity. And that's what Isaac should have been working on, and he wasn't. Lawrence was the bigger man. He just had to, once you once once he was four points up, he just had to see it out, which is what he did. And you actually ended up uh, sat at home. I felt really sorry for Isaac because every single opportunity Lawrence had, he just used that huge frame of his, huge, and just put both hands behind the back of, of Isaac and just forced him down. It was like... It was going back to your army days by the sounds of it, and it was like forcing the head down into the midriff. It was, I mean, that's what it was. Every time you think, how much effort? Slightly misleading about my army days. <laughs> but, but how much? <laughs> how much effort is it to get yourself out of that position where, like, Horrible. you've got to take that huge frame off of your back and get out? So, so if we go back, like, I don't know if anyone watched Lennox Lewis against Evander Holyfield one. There's a great point in that fight. I think it's in the first round where Lennox tries the same thing on Evander. Evander grabs the back of Lennox's knees and just picks him up and slams him. Basically, the ref, the ref had to catch Lennox Lewis. After that, Lennox calmed the hell down. And in rugby, you know, Martin, you know, it's, it's called policing the contact. <laughs> no, there's an expression. It's called policing the contact. If the ref's not giving me the outcome I want, I'm going to deal with it myself. Would I put my head in there? Absolutely. I'd have rubbed my... Because Isaac had some hair on his head. I'd have rubbed that on... I'd have made it so uncomfortable Lawrence wouldn't want to come in. And I would have said to the ref, you've already taken a point off me. I dare you to do that again. Yeah. All these small things that should have been worked on in camp. You know, remember Lomachenko versus Rigondeaux? And Loma said to the ref, what am I allowed to do if he holds me? 
and the ref shows him. He goes, okay, I'll allow this, but other things aren't allowed. And you saw Lomachenko doing that in the whole fight. And what he did was pull the arms up above his head and yep. just like slinked his way down the middle yeah. and he was out. Yeah, but making sure his head was front and center. So if you got pulled in, you're going to get yep. the head to the face. That's what elite level fighters do. They solve those problems before they get in the ring. So I feel for Isaac in that sense, I but I don't want to turn this into a Isaac was unlucky, Lawrence was lucky. <clears throat> Lawrence showed up, delivered like he said he would. Like we remember when we discussed it, when he went to GB and no one fancied Lawrence to do anything and he showed up and he performed. I genuinely feel if they fought 10 times based on last night, Lawrence would win nine and a half times. Yeah. Um, you know, like there's that very, very small... Um, nine wins and a draw. Guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, then but, optimistically a draw. And I don't think any of them would be a particularly fun fight no. to watch. But that, I wouldn't rule Isaac out of competing as a cruiserweight because no one is Lawrence's size. Yeah, it, well, it's a bit like, um, you know, Miles Shinkrin when he fought Jake Ball. Yeah, the size. Jake Ball beat him convincingly, hands down. Miles Shinkrin, I know he came out of that fight and he said, look, I could fight Jake Ball 10 times. I'll probably lose nine of them. Like, that style is just all wrong for me. I can beat people that are better than Jake Ball. He's convinced that I can beat people better than Jake Ball, but I can't beat Jake Ball because of that style. It was just wrong for me. And I feel like that's how it was yeah. with that fight. It's not but, to rule Isaac out in the long term, but if they fought again, you'd bet your mortgage on But, but my concern away. with Isaac is what we've established is he's too small and he's too weak at cruiserweight. But he, he needed to be stronger in that. And I don't think he was. There's one thing that, that really did shock me. And this is what I mean about lack of preparation. If you notice, every time Lawrence held, he dropped his hips below Isaac. And that's a man who's like four inches taller. <clears throat> and so Lawrence would drop the hips, which meant that all he had to do was just relax and drive up. And Isaac would just go backwards because his hips were too high. Yep. If I'd been in Isaac's court, I'd have said, every time he gets on you, just sit your hips low and turn him. He's going to struggle. So it seems to me from the outside, uh, certainly from a boxer's training and preparation perspective... Yeah, um, that it would it would seem obvious to me to study your opponent and try and exploit his weaknesses. But you're saying that that's not necessarily what it looks I don't like think that's, no, no, I don't think that's what happened. Like, look, why wouldn't that happen? Wouldn't arrogance. that be par for the course? Well, well, arrogance and what is your approach to coaching? You know, you can't learn to coach in a barbershop. That, that's that's as polite as I can put it. You can't learn to coach in a barbershop. Those who know know what that means. Okay. Uh, so why did you, to, to sum up Ben's question? Why did Chamberlain lose? Was it a lack of preparation? Wasn't was prepared. it the knockdown? Well, was it no, nerves? Was it's it, two things. Was he wasn't good enough. He wasn't prepared, and I think everyone's going to struggle against Lawrence. If yeah, it, you're just going to struggle against. What him. I didn't like about it by the end was that we knew Lawrence was you know like 500 points up with three rounds to go. <laughs> um, you know, it, it was so abundantly clear. Now, Lawrence has got those huge arms, as you said, like, and he carries significant power, you suspect. I would have liked him to have actually, like, for a few rounds at the end, just done something. And I know that there's two approaches to this. One's a methodical, like, just do what you've done all the way through, see this through, get the clear points win. Yeah. I'd have liked to have seen him. The, the Billy Joe approach. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have liked to have seen him actually, like, Rather than go in and clinch and lean on him again, because we've seen that 600 times through this take first... Take a gamble. Take a gamble and actually let those long arms go. Let the power go. Because what he reminded me of at times was a T-Rex. Um, 
in the like Rah. he's got those lovely long arms and then he kept every time he threw a punch he was stepping in with the punch to shorten that distance and then his arms right. he'd lost all that benefit and he was stuck with his short arms at that point and then he would just lean over the back and actually I just wanted so him negating to negating his advantage yeah, I just, which he was then turning into a different advantage which was to just hold maul and then hold again but I would have liked him just to have, you know, for the benefit of the fans. And this is a man who's being brought up underneath Anthony Joshua, who's made a career of knocking out people that went up to his okay, level. Um, I, can, I'd like to can see I just add as an aside, one of my, one of my favourite moments of that fight, and I had to watch this on YouTube to get it. They go to David Hay for his assessment and immediately go back to Tony Bellew. And Tony, I love this. Tony says, like, yeah, so David seems to, to be... I disagree totally with David. David's wrong about everything. Mm. I think Chamberlain's winning the fight. He, he was just like, he's almost like anything David said. But what he, he did, I don't with. know if you've noticed it. He, he disagreed with everything that um, David Hay had said. Yeah. And then the commentator said what David Hay had said, but in a slightly different angle. <laughs> and then he agreed with everything the commentator <laughs> said. <laughs> uh, but also, the, the difference in boxing intellect between David Hay and Anthony Joshua was so obvious, wasn't it? David tells you everything you need to know about what's going on in that fight. Brilliant. Thank you, David. Anthony Joshua, well, I'm not going to sign the contract with Eddie. It's really about me. That's why I wore the suit. Yeah, where's Frank? <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Ridley asks, who gives the best hug, Ocoli or Chamberlain? I'm not answering that question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for Ocoli because he's got great big Mr. Tickle arms. No, 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 no look, I'm not answering that question because like... You have to, I No, do. no, no, I'm, I, I'm not having those lads being made fun of. I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately not <laughs> having those above lads. it? No, no, they're above it, but come on, man. Like, you know, they legitimately try their best and, you know, you might be bitter about how the fight went, but I'm not... Uh, no, we're better than that. I'd say Ocoli, Anthony. Uh, Josh Finch asks, can a Curly become a world champion in the next two to three years and compete with the likes of Usyk and others no. in the division? No. No. He Is doesn't it... need to be doing that. He doesn't need to be going up there in two to three years. In two to three years, look, within the next year, I'd like to see him versus the winner of um, Valili versus Arfan Iqbal, which happened on the Eubank undercard. I'd like to see him against Luke Watkins. I'd like to see him against Chris Billum-Smith. I'd like to see the domestic scene come together. Matty Askin is the most improved domestic fighter that doesn't get the credit that he deserves over the last 24 months. Matty Askin at cruiserweight has turned into such a better fighter than people would have thought when he fell out of the ring with Lawrence Bennett. What's that, two years ago? Just over two years ago. Matty Askin has improved significantly. Like In two years' time, I'd like to see that kind of level. No, I, I think I think he he'll go past that in two years. That that's that that's for me. That's a early twenty nineteen fight. I, I've always said Lawrence needs to go to heavyweight. Like at cruiserweight, you're against guys, especially when you get to that higher level, who are a bit too mobile. I think Lawrence would do better against a stationary target. Um, we saw what he did against someone like a like a Blaze Mendo, and you know Blaze isn't a bad fight, but he's not very mobile. That's what Lawrence really excels at. Babs asks, will Matchroom ever feel the blowback of overselling and underdelivering with certain fights like Akoli Chamberlain or does their mainstream reputation and lack of competition help them retain high consumer satisfaction levels? This is a great question because I think there's a real risk. What last night was, there were 8,000 people in there 
um, of which a lot of that appealed to the matchroom demographic. So the ones that aren't necessarily boxing fans, but they've seen the the Sky vignettes where they had like um, a Coley working in a burger van or burger bar, uh, where they had Isaac Chamberlain had put out a job advert for um, for Lawrence Coley for the day after the fight, for after he's lost. All these little bits were really cleverly done, really brilliantly done by Sky and by Matchroom um, to build that fight. And it built a lot of general interest that wouldn't have necessarily been there for the two fighters if you didn't do all that. And then for them to to have the fight that they did. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that fighters at that level can't have a good fight because they can, but their styles didn't gel, didn't mesh. It's not really anyone's fault, but those 8,000 people, say that 4,000 of them were there because of the build-up to this fight, they're not likely to come back and watch anything ever again because it was like so horrible to watch. You're not going to get a repeat customer out of those people. But they were there likely because of the fact that they'd been sold this vision by Matchroom in the build-up. You're going to start turning people off. That would have been the perfect fight to put on the, the chief support to an AJ fight to Dillian White versus Lucas Brown. Because if it was as shit as it was, then people would have forgotten about it by today anyway. Because it would have been a headline that people could talk about. You've taken a risk putting two lads that shouldn't have been at that level at that level. But I think, speaking on the crowd that I saw, there are a lot of people there that were there for very specific reasons. So it was almost like a, a magnified small hall show. So the, the, the Cheeseman lot were there for the che- for Ted Cheeseman. Reese Bellotti sold a lot of tickets as well. So Team Bellotti was... There are souls, by the way. Like, uh, the, 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 those guys from Watford are horrible fuckers. <laughs> they are. Like, I, li- I like the Bellotti brothers. So Spencer, Reese, and Chris, I know from the amateur days. They're good people. <laughs> but the guys I met from Team Bellotti, I just thought were assholes. Um, maybe it's that South Stop Oxy thing. No, no, maybe it's, a, no, maybe it's the South Oxy thing because it's, it's a notoriously right-wing kind of BMP sort of area. I don't know, but these are horrible fuckers. <laughs> and so, I so hope your train doesn't stop in Watford. <laughs> I don't even care to be honest. <laughs> Pitchforks at the ready. But 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 in essence, so so Isaac sold a lot of tickets for people who have backed him up until this point and will probably still back him. I always said the people in the arena won't be disappointed because they're, they're sufficiently angry at Steve Gray. It, for me, it was the people who watched on TV that had no engagement with the whole build-up who will be like, that's bullshit. I'm not watching that shit again. That, that was more my worry. I think the people in the arena, we kind of knew what we were getting. Well, uh, Bob Robert asks, when do we stop watching Hearn shows that are not up to par? Do we vote with our feet and not watch to get the message through? But does that risk sending so, boxing back to the wilderness? He's got a good point. It's a good question. Yeah. So I want to clean up Hearn and say, he's not far away. So I like the concept of British beef. So if you'd had a Cody Chamberlain, Richards Boatsy, um, just trying to think of people who don't, I mean, not, not who don't like you, but people that you could, you could put. Well, they could have got Valili Iqbal yeah. for the English title on there as well. Yeah. That's so, ended up on a Eubank card. So, so if, if you end up with, let's just say you have four of those, Four of those sorts of Four fights. Four English titles. How yeah. about the kind of fights that ended up on the Hobson card? Yeah. <laughs> it's, those, it's, those levels. So so the British beef concept for me could work, but Hearn would have to, to realise you're living in the moment as a promoter now. So you, you can't say you're saving this guy for that for four fights down the road. It's, no, no, if I've got a British beef card, I need to win today. I'll worry about how to win next time when I get there. I think that was the problem. 
Um, in terms of the rest of it, man, like there was a bit I didn't like where Joshua almost did like a walk around and everyone sort of stood up like a bunch of groupies. I was almost embarrassed for everyone, actually. And I don't know, I don't know why they're obsessed about the guy. I was nervous actually that I was going to bump into Johnny Oliver and he's going to go, yeah, Terry, all that stuff you've been saying about Joshua, how about you say it to his face? <laughs> Come and meet the man. <laughs> nah. Do you know what? Do you know? And I was there in my head going, if I do bump into him, I'm just kicking him in the knee. Fuck it. Kick him in the knee twice. Don't give him the chance. Yeah, yeah. If, if it doesn't work, I'll, I'll ask him. Live in the moment, Terry. Yeah. Can I write a will, please, AJ? Before you do anything, can I just write a will? <laughs> Yeah, or just let my mum know that I might not be home tomorrow. But it's a great question. That, like, as fans, we those that watched at home are left with a bit of a bitter taste after last night. However, the rest of the matchroom um, layout for the first six months is fairly good. It's fairly promising. Before last night, on Friday, if you'd have asked me, I'd have said, and I was chatting with a guy, Jamie Roberts. I got my hair cut yesterday morning. Chatting with a guy, Jamie, who listens to the pod. And we were chatting. We were quite excited about last night. Now, maybe that's misplaced excitement and because we haven't had that much boxing on over time, whatever. But we were both like looking forward to it. Now, it's great in hindsight that we all go, God, that was a bit shit. But we were all looking forward to it Saturday morning. And so I'm looking forward to the rest of the matchroom um, yeah. set up for the rest of kind of the first half of this I think, year. I think we've discussed this on the pod, haven't we, before, where we've said... It's easy to criticise the day after. Yeah. The time to criticise is the day before. Yeah. And so, you know, in hindsight, it's an ugly fight and it's two lads that are area level at the moment. The day before, it's an exciting prospect because it's two British lads that really don't seem to like each other and we all want to watch that. It's it's a very, like, day after view that yeah. I'm not comfortable to slag it all off entirely, I suppose, which is probably quite rare for me. Uh, okay, I want to give a quick shout out to Paul Altai, who asks, um, as small shows go, go, what did Terry think to the Hobson setup? Uh, any fighters on the bill to keep an eye out for? But you, you kind of already answered all that. Yeah. Um, Beyond the Ropes Pod asks. Shout out to Beyond the Ropes Pod. Good listen. Give it a go. Uh, with the success of the World Boxing Super Series and Ireland's new Last Man Standing tournament on the horizon, are we shifting towards the format of the future? And is it positive or negative? I love it. I think it's brilliant. The, the World Boxing Super Series has shown that if you get the best people together, um, then, you know, if you get the best people together with the budget that you can afford, which in this scenario is the best at Cruiserweight, then you inevitably get fantastic fights and people pay attention to it and it draws attention in from non-boxing fans alike. Because I know a lot of non-boxing fans that are aware of the World Boxing Super Series. Um, the Irish last man standing, when I mentioned budget, you know, obviously the Irish last man standing hasn't got the same kind of budget, but they're doing it over a prolonged period of time um, to put together six lads. But I think what's important out of these is that you have the narrative. And I think that's what boxing has lacked for however long, is that you can build that story up that I'm going to fight you next and I'm going to fight you next if I win. And then you start to see... You know, as per an FA Cup or whatever, you start getting draws. Those things are what people want to see. On the Dennis Hobson one, the one thing that I've, I didn't like about it was at the end, um, after Josh Whale had won, they brought up his mandatory challenger. I don't know if you'd have seen it, it's on the TV. So they're interviewing Josh Whale at ringside, and then they bring along, I can't remember the lad's name, but his mandatory challenger comes along, and they go, oh, here's Mr. X, his mandatory challenger. And they went, you all right? You all right? 
Right, now back to uh, so-and-so over there. But I thought it was a perfect opportunity. Like, if you're going to use Josh Whale as, like, one of your your anchors to those shows, is you build up, and that's the narrative element. It doesn't have to be a competition necessarily, but you say, Josh, this is who you're fighting next. And then the other lad can, you know, ask him, what what flaws did you see in him tonight that you think you can pick off when you're going to fight him? That kind of thing would have been brilliant there and then, like ringside on the, the Hobson yeah. show. That's Hearn's brilliance, though, isn't it? Hearn always sells you tomorrow today. Exactly, yeah. So that's, it's where they started. And then for whatever reason, they immediately put the handbrake on and switched to doing something else. But that selling tomorrow is what these tournaments are doing. We've seen it with Prize Fighter over a single night, but I kind of like the prolonged one, where it's over a longer number of rounds. The, the issue with Prize Fighter was always that a fighter who lost would say, "Oh, but I'd have done him over ten rounds or whatever." Well, now you haven't got that excuse. These can be ten round fights, and then you know, legitimately the best man, not the one that had a strong start over two rounds and then couldn't lose it by the third. You know, legitimately the best man is going to move on. So I'm a big fan. Um, Tommy Roosh asks, um, cru- well, he doesn't, uh, asks you to discuss, um, Cruiserweight is easily the best division in boxing. The last two weeks have proven that. Terry? Not really. Um, <clears throat> what we have in the Cruiserweight is we have reality and we have what the fans want. I don't think that makes them the best division. So I don't think Cruiserweight is stacked with talent, whereby you're saying, well, actually go down three or four layers and you're still looking at fights you'd love to see. Light heavyweight, in contrast, is a stacked division. Um, To be honest, I think the most stacked divisions at the moment are probably light heavy, 154 slash 160. The people hopping in and out of that space, that's a pretty dense talent as well. And then that sort of 130 to 135 space is quite dense as well, as we saw with the Linares, Linares calling out Lomachenko and so forth. But I think the, what the Cruiserweights have done is said, this has been quite a dead division for years. Since basically, since David Hay, right? We haven't really had a Cruiserweight we've cared that much about. Shots obviously intended in that one. But what they've done is they've said, well, actually, let's just have one undisputed champion who will be that rare division that has that. I know Crawford did it, but we have one champion and we'll know who the man at Cruiserweight is. And hopefully he can go on to do something. But I have a feeling it's going to be Gassiev. So I don't think Gassiev's going to go up to heavyweight. So it'd be good. I mean, I imagine he'll probably have a fight with Bellew or someone of that ilk. But I think if the World Boxing Super Series had happened at light heavyweight, we'd be saying light heavyweight was the best. That question would be, is light heavyweight the best division? It looks like it by country mile. The fact that we've got all these lads together and we've been able to witness it has been fantastic and I can see where the question's coming from. Um, Babs asks, is Martin happy about the potential of no ring card girls in boxing, meaning he can ejaculate over the World Boxing Super Series pyrotechnics <laughs> floor side in peace without being called a sexist? <laughs> right, this relates back to, I said I was so excited about the uh, Eubank Groves fight because I love that World Boxing Super Series lighting, the way they build yeah. the cage out of the lights, get him up on the podium. I wasn't a fan of it at first, but now I am all in. I am sold. It is everything. What is missing is Neil Diamond. <laughs> but it looks so, so good. I put out a tweet about, I feel sorry for whoever sits in the, the chair in front of me that I'll just ejaculate all over them when they do that. So, uh, Interesting. so yeah, the fact that they're, you know, I think Sowerland's come out and said that he's going to keep ring girls. Uh, I know Terry's had... Have they heated debate with uh, a certain female boxer over the is last that, week? Listen, I destroy Stacey Copeland on Twitter. Let's not lie and pretend otherwise. And 
and oh. and and if this gets back to her, I have no issue with it. This is what I'll say in simple terms, right? It's what it's, Terry Terry is saying, Stacey. It's, it's gender-based fascism and tyranny. Stacey Copeland is fine. Like, whatever she wants to do in life, congratulations, well done. I have no issue with what you want to do in your life. You're nobody... <laughs> Sounds genuine. You're nobody to... T- <laughs> no, it's true, though. No, it is legitimately true. You want to box, box. You want to... You, I mean, you want to set yourself on fire, set yourself on fire. Do what makes you happy. The minute you start telling other women or other people what the hell they should be doing with their lives, I have a problem with you. But I have a problem with whoever says it, not just Stacey Copeland. So she doesn't speak for anyone in boxing because nobody in boxing has agreed with her. The female fighters, to be honest, I've been getting messages. The female fighters are like, who the hell is she anyway? She doesn't speak for anyone. Now, what, what is she doing for us in the sport? Absolutely nothing. So, you know, you're going on, you're going on all these TV shows and claiming that you're the spokeswoman for female boxing. You're not. You're really not because... No one's following you. It just so happens you did an internship at the BBC, so you email people to give you a chance. You know, it's not merit-based, but well done to you. But the fact of the matter is you're trying to deny women from making a living in a way that they choose to. I think what's really sad about the whole situation is, A, it hasn't even happened in boxing, and yet we're talking about it. And B, you're getting these female boxers that are now getting the opportunity to talk about it, and people are paying attention, and they're not talking about female boxing. Like female boxing is crying out for becoming legitimized and instead all we're doing is talking about some birds going around in bikinis like although not last night did they not use them last they night? used ring girls last night but they all had our dresses on it's not the same is as it as though a complaint is taking place yeah, <laughs> yeah. let's write a formal complaint to match to the board <laughs> <laughs> but I say it's a perfect opportunity for female boxers to boost their profile and talk about being female boxers. And instead, they're talking about someone that's doing a different job in their profession. Because, I just, because I find the, that a bit sad. Yeah, I, I, it's an acceptance that, you know, save for a handful of people who can sell tickets, female boxing's dead in the water. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, Sam, Carr, Sam Khan asks. You guys have talked about needing to come from a hard place, not privileged, to make it at the top. What about Eubank Jr.? Eubank Jr. was dismissed by his dad at a young age, sent over to America to live with a woman that wasn't his mum, brought up through a system that wasn't a standard schooling system. That kid might come from a rich background. He has not had a rich upbringing. Brighton College. (laughs) He spent some time at Brighton College, yeah. But he... I say, given that his own father just sent him over to America to go and learn his trade within some of the American gyms without any parenthood around him at the time, like that must have been hard on the kid. Hard. Um, so he comes from a privileged background. I'm just not sure he had a privileged upbringing. But when he fought someone who definitely did not have a privileged upbringing, he lost. Yeah. So so let's see what hap- let, let's see what happens when he because he's never really been in with someone where you look and you go, there you go. There's someone who's talented. There's someone who's really come from the barrio or the we haven't seen that yet. He's gonna smash Groves. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> let's move on. Maybe I don't know. Stephen Mock asks, do you think Chisora versus Joyce will get made? If so, how do you see it going? I think it's a good fight for Joyce as he has lost all momentum from his debut. He has lost all momentum. I think he's really poor. Um, you know, coming off that Ian Lewis and win, he's now fighting some 
a foreigner who's like four and one that he'll blast out on a Friday night. Challenging fight. Quite a hard fight. <laughs> it really isn't. Um, so then he's got, a f- or they're looking at lining up another fight um, for him after that. I'd imagine they're already looking past this, if I had to guess. Now, there was talk last night. David Hay went on the radio and said, oh yeah, it's all agreed. It's like, I'd be very surprised if it is all agreed. Oh, Jamie Reed um, beckons he's seen an IFL video with them shaking hands for a potential fight in May. No, no. What happened was Derek basically said, if you give me the number yeah, I want, exactly. you have the fight. Yeah. So, so David has gone on and said, I offered 80 grand. I don't know if that's true or not. Martin probably does. I do know. I'm not going to confirm one way or the other. But what I do know is... 80 grand isn't anything that's going to get Chisora out of bed. Because Chisora's at that point in his career, like Hay is, where he just counts the numbers. Yeah, so look, I know for a fact that Povetkin, um, it was on the table for Chisora to fight Povetkin. I know that was an option that was out there. And it was for a lot more than 80 grand. A lot more. Um, So does Chisora really need the work with Joyce for 80 grand? Nah, not really. Um... So, unless that number goes up... I, I think Hayes is going to try and find some shekels out of the, the value budget. So, the it. problem is, yeah, the, as Eddie says, the, the fighters own the shows now. So, they the hay Bellew fight, David Hay will... It's a really weird situation, isn't it? Because he will essentially be the owner of some of the... Or an, an element of the, the profit point. that comes out of the show. So, he's in, incentivized to keep the undercard as cheap but as good as possible... And in the same instance, he's got a heavyweight in Joe Joyce who could fight Derek Chisora on there if Derek Chisora's paid the right amount of money. But David Hayes not going to want to pay the right amount of money because he gets to take home the profits. So it's unless, all... you, unless you take it out of JJ's coffers and you go, mate, you might have to fight for free for this one. You know, <laughs> Don't rule that out because that's, you know, there's some people who would actually do that. Um, Alex Melia asks, Given the quality of wins that the eventual winner of the World Boxing Super Series at Cruiserweight will have, is the Fighter of the Year award effectively sorted by February? No, (laughs) no. Our listeners love sweeping statements, don't they? They've listened to us. We make them all the time. (laughs) Nailed down, like, is it sorted? But no, because... Love it. You know, these guys aren't even on the pound-for-pound list. You know, they're... One that you think is a load of rubbish. Yeah, but, but for just for, for the guys who are sending these messages in, they love they love all that. Let's be honest, right? If it turned out that Crawford was to fight one of Spence or Thurman or, or any one of those trio were to end up fighting, that win would outrank anything in the World Boxing Super Series. Uh, YouTube scientist asks... Genius. Another great fight shown on ITV. Is it surpassing BT now in quality and becoming Sky's biggest rival? Still to... Uh, still at least two outstanding fights to come on ITV. I'm going to throw my theory out here, right? I might be wrong, might be right, don't know. ITV, I guess, haven't paid much, if anything, for the World Boxing Super Series. It it went to the wire. And like they asked for, I don't know what it was, £10 million, say, £5 million, £2 million. The number kept getting lower, offering it out. And I think it was only, from what I understand, BT and ITV Sport that were left as potential homes for it. And I'm going to take a punt that the fact that we're getting the likes of Callum Smith, Jurgen Bramer on pay-per-view, 
Jamie Cox versus George Groves on pay-per-view. Everyone sits at home going, oh, they ought to put these on free-to-air because that'll build it into a much bigger fight for, you know, down the line with George Groves' Chris Eubank winner is going to take on Callum Smith, probably. Although you did say that. Did say what? You did say that that's what they should do. Oh, I kind of... There's part of me that says, look, they should do that from a fan's perspective. But my guess would be that the World Boxing Super Series owners, the Sowerlands and Schaefer and whoever else it is behind the scenes, um, have essentially kind of handed it for free or a very small amount to ITV, who will probably be... The fact that everything's on pay-per-view rather than being built means that those pay-per-view revenues are getting split between themselves. Rev share somewhere. Yeah, it's, you know, they're going to cash in at every opportunity, every opportunity for short-term gain. And that means the World Boxing Super Series will probably end up somewhere else next time round. Now that it's proven as a concept, somebody else will be interested in it. Somebody with more input. So the likes of BT, the likes of Sky, there's going to be more pressure on them to take it. Because the first time round, in its infancy, nobody knew what it was going to be, really, because we've had the Super 6 and everyone went, well, it's just going to be that. And it hasn't been that. It's been so much better. Then now the pressure will be on to get that level of quality onto a Sky, onto a BT, off of ITV. And ITV, I guess, aren't going to get that same preferable rate next time around. Look, and you can also, I think, for the next one, you're now starting to push your guys that way, aren't you? Yeah. I've got someone dangerous, but doesn't sell many tickets, doesn't do much in pay-per-view. I'm throwing him into this World Boxing Super Series. From what I understand, for putting Callum Smith, uh, Mike Perez, and Jamie Cox into the World Boxing Super Series, Eddie Hearn got paid a million pounds. A million pounds putting those three in. Jamie Cox went out first round. Mike Perez went out first round. (laughs) And Callum Smith's going over to fight Jürgen Bremer. None of those boys sell tickets particularly. None of them are ranked as like probably in the top five of their own weight divisions. But they filled the numbers. And it's, you know, that Sowerland-Hearn relationship is definitely there. And it means that for the next series, you know, there's going to be a favourable... Uh, relationship between them. Rich, do we have any idea what weight division? I've heard light heavy is very, very likely. Light heavy? Yep. Well, as Terry says, it's stacked. It's, so that will make sense. Well, it depends what eight they get. Like, for, for, for me, light heavy, you have to get the right But I eight. think... Um, Which would be... Oh, fucking hell. Come on, between Kovalev, the two Kovalev, Bivol, Joe Fournier. Yep, agreed. <laughs> Fournier has four slots. <laughs> Bullioni in there as well. That's Fuck what, it. Why yeah. not? Four. What was the other four, Terry? Yard, 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 yard. Um, well, no, no, let's see. We've got. I've got to go through some heads. I can get it right. Kovalev, Bivol, Gavodchik, Beterbiev. Stevenson, Jack. Stevenson, Jack. I want Barrera in there and probably Alvarez in there. Yeah, I mean, look, those those eight names... Is that eight or nine? There are probably six that you'd say, definitely, we need them to make it legit. And then there are two that you can probably say, look, if they're not in it, that's fine as long as these other two are in it. Um, You can make a case for that. At that point, knowing boxing fans will be getting tweets going, how can they do a World Boxing Super Series without Shnigorniev from... You know, know, Brain will just come back at 175. (laughs) But, you know, look, if you've got six of those names, and they're almost interchangeable, some of them... um, and then two others that came in, then that is legit. And the light heavyweight scene, the fact that Bivol fought that Trent Broadhurst over in Monaco tells you that there just isn't that much interest and money being pumped into it, which to me would be perfect then. The same that the cruisers, there's a lot of talent and not much interest or money. If you could take that same model, that same concept and apply it to the light heavyweights, that is money making all over. 
Uh, Walker, modern day Lister, asks thoughts on the Conlon Booth link up with Conlon fighting out of America, burnout over here, and on the same schedule fight wise, will it affect camps? I'm loving the grammar, by the way. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to pick up on it any, uh, too much, but <laughs> these tweets are really easy to read. So I think you've not stopped with my criticism. You see, like it's kind of weeded out the. Do you think you've filtered out the? We, we should we should send Andy White to schools. <laughs> <laughs> so so what you're saying is that write your s- questions on a piece of paper for me, and then when I pick, just go, what the fuck is this? Screw it up, throw that heads. <laughs> what you're saying is that by you slagging off some of our listeners, you've filtered out their interaction with us as a podcast. <laughs> Brilliant, mate. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> because you can't be bothered to, to apply. To read them and apply the appropriate. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. absolute knobbin. Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> Don't write questions if question? you can't. You know. Booth Conlon. Conlon's a quality fighter anyway. Booth, you know, he's just he's got a great machine there. It's just can he fine tune it? Our best in the business by far. We had this conversation with 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 Richard Towers on Friday because I was trying to pick his brain about what is it that makes Booth special. And what he said was, with a lot of trainers, they teach what they know. So basically what they do is they go, right, this is how I was taught to do it, therefore you're going to do it this way. Walk forward with your hands up. Yeah. (laughs) But Adam Booth's great skill is he can show you the value of what you're doing. So this is why we're doing everything. So everything has a purpose. He won't won't have equipment in his gym unless there's a purpose and there's a value to it. There's, there's, There's no vanity and there's proper focus, hard work. So Conlon's going into an environment where you're around someone who's a, who's a good trainer, but he's also a teacher as well. So, And he's got good fighters in there already. Yeah. So you've already got that good quality work at that weight class. So I think Charlie Edwards is Charlie still Edwards, there, Ryan Burnett's yeah. in there. Uh, Lucian Reed. Yep. So so it's it's a good stable. It's a successful stable. Why wouldn't you want to be around that? So no, I think it's a, it's a good link up. Also, big shout out to Richard Towers, who if ever you thought heavyweights don't know shit about boxing spend spend half an hour talking to Richard Towers you realise he really is knows he still training he was training a, a welterweight or a middleweight from Leicester at one point one that I think it's almost like because um, I know he's very very close to Booth um, and he was uh, almost like a, a feeder trainer <laughs> at one point it seemed like no no he is so, so, so if you want to train with Adam Booth and you're relatively unknown you'll normally go over to Richard yeah, and Richard will have a look at you. But I think Richard isn't a qualified coach, is he? So he hasn't got his, his corners license, yeah. for instance. Yeah. So, so what Richard will do is he go, "Yep, yeah, I've had I've had a lad here, looks good. Uh, probably probably doesn't add much to what you have at the moment." Or he'll go, "Actually, this kid's amazing." And Adam seems to trust his judgment. <laughs> when, when I took my old man down to your call, and uh, they had one of their their fighters on there. Um, and I took my dad around. We were there early, so we went for a walk around the back. I showed him kind of the changing rooms and things down at York Hall. Walked through the door. I didn't bother to knock on the door. I just kind of let myself into one of the changing rooms, opened the door, and there's Richard Towers stood behind it. And for those people that don't know Richard Towers, Richard Towers He's is huge. six foot eight, maybe. About that. Um, and a little tower. And like six foot eight wide as well. He's like a transformer. He, he's he's such a big... Optimus Prime. Yeah, he's such a huge man. I walked into this changing room. And I'm like, fuck, of all the changing rooms Son I could have... Martin. All the changing rooms I could have just let myself in and bowled straight into. I picked the one with Richard Tower. And he looks around and he's like, 
get up, mate. <laughs> like, yeah. Then just, I said, oh, I really like this, my old man. And like, then we just stood and chatted for like 20 minutes whilst he's getting his fighter prepared. I was he's, like, what a class man. Because he could have told me to get the fuck out of the room. Just because like, he's big, though. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Be just being no, a bully. No, because no, that's a respect no. thing. Like, I, I let myself in there when I probably shouldn't have. Um, but he he had every right to say, you're not meant to be in here. Get out. Do you know when we talk about people who suddenly seem to get mysteriously big? Richard Towers never talk about that. Richard Towers is not that person. Richard Towers has been that big since I knew him, like eighteen years ago, ever it was. You know when you look at something, you're like, maybe I could fight. Maybe I could win. Nah, I'm just nah. In the same way of like a Cody Chamberlain, if I fought Richard Towers ten times, he'd win eleven of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Babs asks. With your fight, Edwards now being touted as the as beefed oh. up. Can anyone think of a fighter who's had two premature title shots without beating any sort of reputable world-ranked contender? I reckon you could fill this one in, personally. Uh, what, world title shots? Paul Smith. It's got to be Paul Smith, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like, Paul Smith, who got a world title shot last year without fighting at the weight in two years. And it's still in the WBA top 15, despite the fact it's now three years, I think, since he's won a fight at super middleweight. Well, actually, John Bailey asked, what is a bigger crime? Um, Ron McIntosh being up for a commentator's award or Paul Smith still being in the top WBA rank fighters? <sighs> yeah, both But both, both you get the chair. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, just, but, but, yeah. but in terms of world title shots that weren't deserved, I can think of one. Can you? Yeah. Ah, was it, was it brilliant? Was it a WBO European holder at the time? Uh, well, let's hope there's another one that gets <laughs> fucking sacrificed. No. no one can ever, no one can ever deny Terry's acting abilities. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Chudnov was a great champion. That's all I, that's all I remember. Yeah, well, he took Groves uh, fair few rounds. Well, Gro- took a lot Gro- to get him out of. Well, well, Groves being the you know the elite level fighter he is. And a deserving British champion when he had it just dealt with Tudor the way you're supposed to. Not taking a hiding from one end of the ring to the other where people are like, please save him. Undeserving champions. Eh? Yeah, like WBO European. Oh, because Frank never won one of those, did he? He did. And that's there why he won't go. fight for it again because he knows oh, it's well, a piece of shit. Well, you know. You know what I mean? <laughs> the, the belt often matches the person. And who holds it now? There we go. Well, well, not not the one Frank had. Well, oh, that wasn't my natural weight. That wasn't my weight, honest. Like, but man, anyway, you, you were happy until you got exposed. Now you're a bigger man. Okay. Well, all again. Oh, I hate this argument. You love it. Terry obviously loves it because he digs it up. Terry loves time. poking. How many times can you do an autopsy of something? Terry would be like the psycho doctor's like, bring him out again. But you've ripped him apart a million times, Terry. Probably I about to saw some more bones in half. <laughs> Same amount of times you conduct mandatories, uh, or sorry, eliminators from the board. Who are the board anyway? Man? Like they're, 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 they're the... <laughs> In terms of undeserving titles, like you said, how did you get given a, a British title shot? You never boxed at the weight before. <laughs> Just asking. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Anyway, I like Anthony. I genuinely like watching Anthony Yard. I just I want him to fight somebody good. I know there's nothing, no correlation to the question we were asked. No, it really isn't. But now that Frank signed O'Hara, that will happen. I think that was just what he was waiting for. Um, uh, Porky's Corner, Big Vern asks, is Femi that powerful or is Eddie Hearn that scared he won't resign that 
he feels he dent upset Freddie Cunningham and so feels he has to get any fighters managed by them to be on all his PPV shows as and an insight, not Andy. Create beef to get their own headline dates by writing scripts. Hashtag poo. So, <laughs> I dropped so my Andy, pen there. Andy, just reword that for us because you understand the question. Yeah, yeah, of course I do. Um, but <laughs> so, yeah. is, is I just Eddie wish Hearn. he had 200 more characters that he could feed more words into? <laughs> Why use 10 words when you can use 1,000? Is Eddie Hearn scared of Anthony Joshua, so therefore uses the AJ Boxer or AJ Boxing fighters on his cards? Uh, yeah, he doesn't want to lose. Of course, he doesn't want to lose Anthony Joshua. Why would you want to lose Anthony Joshua? We can all, as fans, like or dislike Anthony Joshua for what he is and what he stands for. And there are two different things that relate around that, of course. They've been discussed at length. But of course, he's scared of losing him because of the amount of money. So, look, if <laughs> last night we had Buatzi and we had a Coley, um, you know, headlining an O2 fight. Now, you can imagine at some point Freddie Cunningham of AJ Boxing and AJ have sat down and gone, Eddie, you're going to make Lawrence Coley headline the O2. And what's Eddie's recourse? He can't say no, because if he says no, then AJ says you'll do it or else we'll fuck off. So I'd be scared if I was Eddie Hearn. I don't want to lose that cash cow. No one wants to lose it. So so is that, does that then lend itself to AJ effectively running Matchroom's agenda? There's an element of it. Oh, sure. oh, so so you, you've got to structure it differently. And you've got to go, what's the real fear with Joshua? There are two, there are two fears Hearn has. One, he loses Joshua. That's that's probably the most remote of the, of the scenarios. The worst one, actually, is the 20% he gets off them gets cut. So he's having to justify his value. So Freddie Cunningham, and and, uh, this is the the silent war that's not being mentioned. Who steers AJ's career? Is it Eddie Hearn? Is it Freddie Cunningham? Is AJ? Yeah. So Cunningham and Hearn don't get along. Right? I'm not even going to put allegedly behind that. They don't get along. And Martin's just got his glasses on just to check (laughs) if there's any lawyer letters. (laughs) No, no, so, so they don't get along. Cunningham, being what he is, he's a sports marketer by nature. He thinks he gets it better than Hearn does. Hearn thinks he gets boxing better than Cunningham does. So there's that inherent tension that says he takes too much money out of us for what's essentially a self-driving machine. And the contract's up for renewal. So they're saying to Matchroom, well, you put a deal on the table. Let's see if we're happy with it. A deal might have gone out already and it might have been rejected. Can't confirm or deny that. What I do know is the talks have started. So now, when you're in that negotiating phase, you're doing everything you can to keep your client happy. So that's why you're seeing... If you notice, Cheeseman Jones should have been the chief support for that. Yeah? In terms of like boxing 100%. tradition, that should have been the supporting act, but it was Joshua Boatsy who was an AJ boxing guy. So the, you're starting to see the small things. But we alluded to this. Remember... When, when you first started hearing AJ Boxing being mentioned, and we said this is where it was headed. You will start, I, my guess would be for the next 12 months, start getting used to hearing matchroom promotion or matchroom boxing in association with AJ Boxing. And expect to see that reverse over time to AJ Boxing in partnership with Matchroom Boxing. Yeah, but I say they announce it every time the ring announcer goes to introduce a fight. The card is Matchroom Boxing in association with AJ Boxing. You'll get used to hearing that. Um, until, so he, until he loses to Wilder. And this is why I don't think you'll see the Wilder fight for a long time. Because 
they need to get this contract negotiated. They need to get the right numbers behind it. Then they can go, fuck it, we'll fight Wilder now. But if Wilder knocks Joshua out, those negotiations are screwed. So you won't see it before the contract's signed. Um, did you listen to the BBC Five Live podcast? No, they're slags. I can't um, bother listening to them. Bell, it was an interesting... Oh, the one with Bellew? With Bellew, yeah. How and good it, is Bellew when he's not being a dick? Yeah, I, I, I found it quite interesting, to be honest. But he, he said that he liked... Uh, to, to, to massively paraphrase him he said he liked working with her and he said uh, in the past he's worked with promoters that go this is your cut that's it full stop he said whereas Hearn lays it out and goes look this is the big picture this is what I want to take this is what you and he said if I if I there's no boxer in the world that could this is obviously a quote from him paraphrased um, there's no boxer in the world that could run a show and fight on it because he said that about Audley, right? Too, yeah, he referenced Audley yeah, Harrison. Yeah, exactly. He said and it was just too much to deal with. Whereas he likes working with Hearn because Hearn is never off his phone. It's always got everything what he's working on, all of the things that go behind the scenes. No one disputes Hearn, though. So that, like, I, that's why. And then, But then he went on to reference the AJ relationship and he said AJ will never leave Hearn because he makes it too easy for him. Well, until Freddie Cunningham says I've cracked the formula. Do you see what I mean? Because remember, a lot of what Hearn does is was actually Sky doing it, right? Hearn, Hearn doesn't own a lighting rig. Why, why would he own a lighting rig? It's, it's expenditure he doesn't need, right? So Sky invests a lot in those production values that you see on TV. If Cunningham can get access to that, really, what do you need Matchroom for? Legacy experience by all means, but that gap's closing with every year. But, but, what, when you heard that Bellew interview, it was right in the sense that Joshua doesn't want to be thinking about it. But that's why he's got Freddie Cunningham. That's why he's got everyone around. That's why he's got that PR how, company. How, Joshua the, does nothing how, but 100%. Well, how much do you think uh, Matchroom take out of, out of the entire revenue from a fight? Matchroom? Yeah. 20%? That's what I've heard. So... For the for the the ease with which they make things go, and the fact that these these purses are getting bigger, isn't it more beneficial for AJ to start trying to figure out how to make the purses bigger than it is to worry? Uh, I think you'll struggle to make the purses bigger. Uh, I don't know how you can. You've sold eighty thousand at a venue, and you've got uh, apparently like a million people buying one of the last pay per views, the Klitschko one. Like, there's a finite number of people that are going to buy into it. You can't exponentially say it's going to be two million. Is it worth? I kind of saying, is it worth trying to trim matchroom out of it for that extra? Well, that's that's the point. That was what we said. We said that's unlikely. The most likely option is you say to matchroom, you got to you got to take a haircut, and and they'll probably take it because it's the synergy between the two works such that even at ten percent, Hearn's better off than if AJ. It works. It ultimately comes down to is Hearn's time worth say ten percent of an AJ purse because he's got to put in his hours and i've no doubt whatsoever i know people that have worked with Hearn, have seen him working and they say look the man is legitimately like working 15 to 20 hour days regularly consistently because his intention is to be out of everything by the age of like 45 maybe even younger and so he's sacrificing his younger years with his young family to do all these hours and put that work in and you have to respect that out of the man um, so he's got to then work out, look, if I'm going from 20 to 10%, say, is it still worth my time? And that's what it will come down to. Uh, on that, 
Joey asks, what do you think, what do you guys think Joshua will do when his contract expires this year? Presumably with Matchroom and, well, it gets renewed, surely. Maybe under different terms, but it gets renewed. I, right? I, I still think there's something about Chris Eubank Jr. and Joshua working together. The, his, his presence last night seemed to be by design. Like, you're seeing too many coincidences. Eubank Jr. in the Akoli corner, though to, in terms of dynamics, I would have expected him to be in the Chamberlain corner. You're also then seeing Eubank Jr. in Dubai, seeing AJ in Dubai. You're seeing these synergies start to happen, whereby they have to be looking at this going, a Joshua Eubank Jr. card is it's far massive. more powerful yeah. than just a Sh Joshua. Surely that's a way to... Surely that's a way to, um, to increase revenue. Yeah. If there is one. Well, it is. And then if Eubank, just say Eubank Jr. wins the World Boxing Super Series, right? Can you imagine if he said, I'll come down and meet Golovkin at a catchweight? And then AJ's boxing someone on, on as the mate. Can you imagine how everyone's buying that card? Yeah. Because you're like, shit, they're giving us what we want as fans. Th those talks have to be happening. I don't know if that's going to come to fruition, but what I do know is everyone's coming to the table with an offer. I will throw you a curveball. <clears throat> and this is purely my um, my thought process that's just happened right now. So I'm still kind of formulating a little bit. Matchroom Boxing split from Matchroom Sport, what, a year ago? Mm. Just over? So it's a separate entity entirely as a business. I wouldn't be 100% surprised if Matchroom Boxing merged with AJ Boxing to make Matchroom AJ Boxing <laughs> in some way. Matchroom. And so Josh Room. Josh Ma <laughs> <laughs> uh, But why would you separate... Bear in mind. Why would you separate the boxing from the rest of the sports? I don't know. Um, um, other than I, I sense, I, I sense there will be questions being asked about how you distribute tickets to boxing. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think, if you're going to get clobbered or hammered by a tax authority, you want the thing that's going to get hammered as far away from the other stuff as you can. I appreciate that, but I say there is also it's completely curveball, but. Can you rule it out as Matchroom and AJ Boxing just becoming one entity? I think everyone's coming to the table. I genuinely think that. Because remember, Hearn's background is in managing sports people. So it's not like you're not getting added benefit. Yes, he can promote, but he also understands how to market athletes. Yep. So let's not... I mean, I genuinely think there's been no defined answer. I think there are aspirations in terms of growth. But if you're ITV, you're coming to the table with something. If you're BT, you're definitely coming to the table with something. Why? Because you can then make the Fury-Joshua fight happen easier. So all of these elements are all going to come to the table. And then it will just be a question of what do Team AJ want to do? But if AJ signed with BT, that's 100,000 extra BT subscriptions tomorrow. Yep. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt at all. We're going on miles, isn't we? Yeah, it, on, let's rattle through this. Um, Rob Brennan asks, if Dion Juma no. returns this year um, and st proves he still has it, will Steve Goodwin give him a shot at Akoli? Or do you think no. he will fall short into no. the... No, 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 no. Style-wise, all wrong. I love Dion Juma, and I think Dion Juma is talented. He's not big enough at the weight to put a dent in Akoli. Dion uh, Juma needs to come back and prove himself as a cruiserweight as well. He's a hell of a talent. Um, but he's been out of the ring for a while since he split with the Sourlands. He needs to come back and prove he's a cruiserweight, which will be an interesting one. He'll be back in, I think, March time. I think you put him in with Waddy, tail end of the year. Nice yeah. benchmark fight. Let's yeah, yeah. see where he is. Absolutely. Damien Taylor asks, 
out of Hearn and Warren, who is the more is is the most willing to try and make fights between the two stables, or are they both as stubborn as each other? I think they've gone their separate ways. I don't think you'll see any business done between the two of them for twelve months, probably longer. They just don't need one another at the moment. I've said it before. On pay per view, they should just do like I, it has to be Barry Hearn, Barry Hearn, Frank Warren pay per view, just fucking talking it out. Let's find out what the issues Agree. really are. Agree. I'd pay for that. Yeah, that would be the best matchroom pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, Andy Scott asks, is the obsession with personalities and social media good or bad for boxing? The less hyped undercard fights were far more entertaining than the main event last night, as was Gassiev Dordikos, which we are coming on to, so bear with us. Um, Fuck, are we? Yeah. Uh, Is it good (laughs) or bad? Look, it brings people into the sport. The money suddenly increases because of uh, these personalities and because people that wouldn't otherwise pay attention to boxing. Um, Is it good for the sport? It's not a great spectacle sometimes. Those undercard fights were better. What you've got to hope, the people that tuned in or the people that turned up because of the main event will have caught some of the undercard, so won't be too disillusioned out of it. So, I think we're going to come on to this question later, but... You know, if you look at what happened at the Copper Box, if you're a low to mid card boxer and you're seeing what happened at the Copper Box yesterday, you've really got to ask yourself, what the hell am I doing wrong? Yep. Andy Johnson asks, can promoters learn from the <laughs> KSI Weller fight, in inverted commas, over 1.5 million views and a Copper Box sold out? For that demographic, it was a massive Let's success. just tell people quickly what this is, because I wasn't even aware of this until yesterday afternoon when I saw Twitter yeah. start to talk about it. Two geezers run YouTube channels. One of them has 10 million followers on Twitter. The other one, I'm not really sure. But yeah. two geezers sign up, like they create this false beef. It's like a matchroom card. Um, and then they say, we'll settle it over a white collar fight. They fucking did it over six by three minute rounds. You know, fucking Hearn doesn't put his Olympians in six by three minutes on a debut. So, so already you respect them. Already I'm thinking, all right, lads. <laughs> Crikey. Can um, you get to your call on the third? <laughs> <laughs> so these two lads, um, and I said, I wasn't aware of this, but they've sold out the Copper Box and they had over a million viewers live on YouTube. Hennessy's to watch, crying. To watch a fucking white collar fight. They've got JD Sports, like ring canvas and ropes. This thing, the production values on this white collar fight were incredible. Two YouTube personalities. Pay, well, I think YouTube paid for this, didn't they? I don't know. No I, idea. I think this was YouTube funded. That's why it was also good. And, you know, obviously you're going to get the placement on YouTube as a result. And we discussed this before when we were talking about Hennessy and why he got it wrong. If you're going to partner with YouTube, you want YouTube to have skin in the game. You want YouTube to put up half the money. Why? Because they're going to push it down their channels as well. But more importantly, I think what it showed, and I had to get up to speed, you realize like Chisora missed out on the main event at the O2 to go over to the Copper Box and hand over a belt. No, that's not true. He was at the main event at the O2. Was he held? They asked him. They said, mate, are you staying for the main event? No, I've got to go somewhere else. I'm going to watch it on Sky. No, because the Copper Box happened before the O2. Are you sure? 150 million percent. I fucking watched it because I'm tragic. Did you? Yeah, yeah. What time was that on? It was was earlier. So what it also proved, this was an interesting point. Boxing doesn't have to be on at eight o'clock in the evening. 
I know there's this fear that it'll clash with football if it's on earlier. Maybe the broadcasters have that issue. But Sky don't always show a five o'clock Saturday game. And it's a different demographic now with boxing. This was on at like, um, what time did I drop Claire? I dropped Claire at half six. So it started around about seven o'clock when I got home. Um, But they were doing the build up from like five o'clock in the afternoon. Um, on YouTube, they had a few undercard fights. Again, people I've never heard of having terrible white-collar fights. But the place was filling up. It was very much a matchroom audience. Half them probably left and went to the O2 straight after. Um, but they filled that place. But you don't have to run boxing at 8 o'clock at night. These guys put it on far well, earlier and avoided the Saturday night TV traffic. I'd so, imagine there would be broadcasters so, that watched that and went, ah. But also... Terry's <laughs> dumbfounded. No, I, I am because when I saw the numbers and I had to go and I had to go and do my research and who these guys were, then I realized I was like, shit, we've been thinking about this in the wrong way from from well since the dawn of the internet age, right? All these boxers putting up stupid fucking videos of them doing nothing on the pads and showing off and trainers showing off what they do on the pads. You're, you're only ever going to attract a small segment of people. Imagine you had a boxer. Let's say you had... I was going to pick Linus Sadofia because I like him. Imagine Linus Sadofia did a series where he was learning to be a bullfighter. And he went, you know what? I'm out in Pamplona. I'm going to run with the bulls. <laughs> no, no, but imagine this happened, right? And then all of a sudden, other people are like, who's this Linus Sadofia? They say he's a boxer. Oh, now, now I've got a platform to cross over. But also... Most of these YouTubers, I'm only aware because I've got kids that watch YouTubers. They're fucking cunts that just sit in front of a camera talking about life on like a day-to-day basis. Boxers, set up a YouTube channel and just don't talk about boxing. Talk about everything else. Everything else. Tell us bits about yourself. Be interesting. Because how many hours do you train a day, realistically? Three? What are you doing with the rest of that time? Yeah, uh, but how many boxers have got personalities that people want to watch well, on a YouTube channel? No, no, no. Andy, let's find out, though. Like, like, let's let, test the water. Yeah, let, let's test the water. And I know Jordan Joseph... Not Jordan Joseph. Jordan Foster listens to this. This is his next project. Turn a boxer into a YouTube star. Yeah. Let's see if it's possible. Because if it is, you could make some people incredibly rich doing it. Because what yesterday showed is there was a subset of people that like to see fights that boxing clearly isn't touching properly. Yeah. And they like to see... They don't care about the skill set. They don't care that it's two lads who are white collar fighters. I mean, if you if you need any more context than that's been in front of your face for years, it's WWE. They don't care about the fighting, necessarily. Well, they don't care that he's... They care fake. about the storyline. They line. care about the storyline. <laughs> People are addicted to soap operas in the same because way, of the story In the same way we said earlier about the tournament format is good for boxing because it tells you who's fighting who next. You could create that beef. If I yeah. was in that tournament, I would, as soon as I found out I'm fighting Andy on the 20th of March, I'd be at home on a YouTube channel starting talking about you. It's uh, anything. I'd be Literally saying, anything. you know, look, he's got a tiny, but, tiny penis. But the big hump, the big hump you have to overcome. Not, I don't think you're allowed to lie on YouTube. I, I, I don't, <laughs> but I, I think the big hump you have to overcome is, you know what I'm about to say, don't you? The grey hair and tracksuit brigade. 
Wow, wow, this your personality in that, mate. You just got to be able to have a fight. Anyway, so I won't worry you about it. You got to be able to have a fight. But the problem is, as soon as you lose a fight and you've had your YouTube channel, they'll be the ones going, oh, it's because he's been on YouTube. He's <laughs> been on that Chew Tube all the time, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, what's, he, what's all about, He's on that TV tube. <laughs> right, come on, man. We're over two hours, ain't we? No, we're not over two. Oh, yes, we are. Yeah. Yeah, come on, the, but, but in su- We've only got one thing left to in, talk In about. summary, boxers, yeah. You've got to be more interested in just being a boxer and you'll make a lot more money. All right. Gassiev Dortikos. Dortikos, Dortikos Gassiev. I'm Jamie Gassiev. Roberts says, was unreal boxing entertainment. But the big question I have after this is, do you think Gassiev should have got the clippers out pre-fight and got rid of his... M- <laughs> of that minge-like pubic triangle he has between his shoulders. It was bands. really weird, yeah. Oh. It, just, it was almost like it was fashioned. Jamie's the one who cut my hair yesterday, by the way. Shout out Rough Cuts Barbers, Newport Pagnell. If you ever need a haircut in Milton Keynes or the surrounding areas, go to Jamie because he's a top barber in Milton Keynes. Uh, anyway. What, but you, you want to talk about a fight? Yeah, not the triangle. <laughs> Obviously, I was tied up, so I haven't really got to see much of it. But I did make the prediction in the O2 when people say, how do I think Gassiev? I think Gassiev knocks out the because I think Gassiev beats Usyk in the final. It was, uh, it was beautiful. Uh, I was flicking between the two, so the I. Babe station. <laughs> so I was flicking between Gassiev Dortikos and uh, Chamberlain and Cody. So I, I can't say that I sat and watched it like uh, too much, but from what I saw of it, watched some beef. Fuck me! What are you on about? <laughs> um, the way that Gassiev used the left hook, left uppercut, used the two punches together. Um, so often but that left hook is just beautiful and Dortikos Dortikos has a chin of iron because he was taking some heavy I know Cuban fighters don't necessarily have a reputation for heart bravery being able to stick it out well not recently anyway (laughs) yeah but Dortikos was something else in there because Gassiev um, he was just he was fighting off the back foot a lot of the way through the fight just working his way around the ring picking Dortikos off as he came in uh, using that left hook so often but I said the way he paired the uppercut to the left hook you don't see it that often and it was so effective uh, but the ending was just brutal I don't know if you see that Dortikos ended up like laid out underneath the bottom rope uh, it shouldn't have been allowed to go on I think he'd been dropped twice by that point in the 12th oh. round it was the kind of thing where you thought I can see why the referee's done it because there's so much at stake but for the man's health he should not have been allowed to go as far as he did. It was clearly only one winner by that point. Could have jumped in and stopped it. But Gassiev is a killer of a fighter. Like, he's a finisher. Um, and him versus Usyk will be fantastic, phenomenal. Um, I, I, Gassiev wins that. Because like, I'd heard, cause, uh, just through context, I know guys who know Abel Sanchez. And actually, I met Abel when he was out down for the Golovkin fight. And you hear Gassiev, Gassiev, Gassiev. And you know when you, you just hear names and in boxing you just go, oh, whatever. Because if you're not on my raid, I'm like, whatever. But someone said this. They said, listen, he's just a horrible fucker. And he I like that. The, I like that in a boxer. When someone says he's just a horrible fucker, that's what you like to see. It was like Frosch. Frosch was just a horrible bastard. And I don't think Alexander Usk is a horrible bastard and he's going to have to be to beat someone like Gassiev. Um, Mick, Senor Tasty asks... With a rise in UK acid attacks, should the board be thinking about banning Khan for angrily throwing liquid into people's faces? 
It's on the back of the Phil LaGreco press conference. One underwhelming it. return fight. Yeah. Like, how many people had to Google LaGreco? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. Hands up, I did. Yeah. I'm still not sure who he is. Was he in the contender? I don't know. He's a yeah. celebrity chef or something as well, isn't he, apparently? Oh, fuck's sake. I don't know. So, Frampton's, yeah, Frampton's safe now. Are we all getting worried that would it cannibalise? I don't think anyone cares who can't fight in this time. Uh, question for the pod from Simon. Uh, that's all I have. Simon, Simon King. Uh, why is Frank Warren still... Oh, okay. This is a Are we going to get sued? From Simon King. Why is Frank Warren still a cunt living in the 70s with reference to the video put out today it did perfectly for neanderthals shouting england it was so stereotypical Ooh. of the mentality this i actually was, thought was dubbed over by warrington you. selby press conference that what that they that did that was that release that a, that. like a, a small clip a little vignette of the press conference which was warrington and selby face to face and they pan the camera around and there's like 20 leeds fans all stood there uh, looking like racists. Yeah, looking like a National Front meeting, just saying, England, England, because Lee Selby's from Wales. And like, it, it, honestly, you could put those 20 people in with Josh Warrington on fight night and he'll still fucking lose. So it's irrelevant. Look, w- Warren's problem is he thinks he has the answer, right? And with every year that passes, we begin to realise he doesn't have the answer. At least with Barry Hearn, Barry just went, I don't get this anymore. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> Here's Fra- my son. Yeah. Frank Warren is like the Arsene Wenger of boxing right now. Just that the world's moved past him. <laughs> Unmovable. Unshakable. Look, as long, as, long as, he can, as long as he can keep allegedly pillaging that Bill Ives money, he's all right. Allegedly. I don't know if that's true okay. or not. Um, Someone on the street corner told me. John, John Bailey. Had glasses on and a jumper that said, I can't remember what it said, but it had a star on it. Fuck off. <laughs> a five-pointed star in case anyone tries to call me anti-Semitic so mm-hmm. five-pointed star oh god alright um, John, uh, John Bailey asks Bailey if Eddie paid Selby to drop his belt for Warrington who else has he bought also with his staged pressure stunts should it be now called Eddie McMahon so this in reference to Lee Selby said that when he was with Matchroom um, he used to get paid off to drop the belt so that Josh Warrington could then contest those belts and he said there was like a trail of if you follow the belts that Lee Selby held, each of them was then picked up subsequently by Josh Warrington. Um, so, I mean, Josh Warrington was a big value product for Eddie Hearn, wasn't he, for a period of time? It yeah. doesn't surprise me at all. Those belts were relatively meaningless to Lee Selby. Um, none of that surprised me at all when well, I heard it. Well, boxing, we end up in a discussion about this on Friday. If people realise the shit that goes on at these IBF, WBA, WBO conventions where basically promoters will say to judges or whatever, do you know what? We'd like to get you over to London in the summer for a Joshua fight, theoretically. You know, we need a judge who can who can be fair and who can look after, you know, what we think is a big event. And then they'll be like, don't worry, man. I'm your man for the job. And they do this. Uh, refs, judges, whoever. And there's, there's this sort of unspoken thing that says... If you know how to look after me, I'll look after you. You know, anything you want in London, we'll lay on for you. Make sure you're happy. And then people get hooked on that. Uh, finally, Dumps asks, so Tony, so Tony Bellew is now calling out the winner of the World Boxing Super oh. Series at Cruiserweight. If he does fight Usyk, he who he probably says will beat Gassiev or Dortico. Oh, no, sorry. He says Usyk probably. Yeah, and then he goes on to say, or oh, it could be Dick Gassiev or Dortico. Who will sponsor the soles of his boots? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, that was also mentioned in the... Creed 2. In the... Um, Which he's not in, apparently. In the interview that I referenced earlier, he then goes on to say, oh, Usyk's an amazing fighter, but I think I've found a way to beat him. And just, for me, it just stinks of a payday. Tony sat at home thinking, I don't need any of that action. I could fight Dillian White. And we can make a big IFL viewership out of it and that'll sell out the O2 and I'll get some money he, for it. He then do you re- remember that he's WBC emeritus? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so therefore he, he can step us anytime and it, he can pick and choose who wants to fight. Who, uh, quick question. Who was it where Usyk was boxing and Tony Bell you was commentating and they said do you fancy any of that and he was like no. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it wasn't Huck. It was someone German. It was Oh shit! Who was it? I don't know. But when I remember, I remember. But he did. That they asked him about. It. He was like, "No." Well, he did. Uh, uh, in reference, the very interview that I'm referencing, he then said, "I can't fight any of the heavyweights. I can't fight AJ. They're just they're just too big for me. No chance." Yeah. Once I beat David Hay, and then etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, right. I think which, which it, she probably will do. Any other business in our two hour ten pod? No. Yes. Ma- Oh. oh, I've just texted wife saying we're finishing. No, 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 no. So big, terrible news. big shout out to Dave Anderson, right? Dave Anderson, Andrew Ridley, Jason Luck for showing a lot of love to the podcast yes. last night. So all the guys I met, and I've probably forgotten names and stuff because it was a manic night. Thank you, man. Like, there's nothing more humbling than people going, mate, I enjoy the podcast. So thank you, guys. Um, Anyone that does on social media, yeah. in person, any yeah. of it, man. Like yeah, we're no, always you. taken aback by it, yeah. and I always screenshot it and send it to these two because it's still an odd thing yeah. that people or enjoy just getting recognised. But oh, shit, uh. and you know what I mean. So, so thank you for that. Um, second order of business, Groves Eubank. We're all going to be up there. So anyone that's going to be in Manchester that weekend. Let us know. Let's get numbers and hopefully we'll find a pub in Manchester. What we need, if we've got any listeners there that have got local knowledge of Manchester that can give us a name of a fairly large but fairly quiet pub that we can organise people to turn up at and we'll go there. Because we're all going to be there for the same reason and we're all going to be... And don't be shy. If you live in Manchester and you don't normally get in touch and, you know, you're not on Twitter or whatever, just fire us an email. What's the email? Newageboxingatoutlook.com just send us something because it really is. It was when we went to the copper box. Yes, yeah. there was one person, David McGinley, who turns up. That fine. If you guys can't make it, there's no, there's, well, clearly no pressure. And frankly, you could do what you want. But if you want to turn up, you'd be welcome. If you're all, be great all I can there. say is, based on what happened at the live event, everyone will get value from it. I promise you. Well, because what's the, it'll be free. Value from what? We're just rocking up in a pub. <laughs> no, no, no. But you, you know, it'll be a good laugh. No, no. But remember it's what worth happened? The effort. No, no. But, but it was that thing that happened last time, wasn't it? Where all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's who that is, or that's who that is, and all of a sudden there's a degree of comfort now, which is sort of fed into everything that's gone on since. Now, so you have two options, right? You can go to this thing, have your hotel, walk up there on your own, feel lost in a crowd, or you can go, actually, you know what? There's a group of people, men and women, that I know that are going to be in a pub get a couple of drinks and even if I decide to go early at least I've had that social interaction where people have something in common with not many women based on the demographic information I gathered earlier in the week thank you to anyone that filled that in little poll how were the comments you enjoyed the comments 
I didn't uh, I didn't see the comments. Do you get feedback on the comments? Uh, I haven't looked at that. Well, no, I haven't gone Judging through. Judging by Terry's wry smile, he put in the comments. <laughs> I, I will have to go back and reread the comments. I was looking at the numbers rather than the comments, but I will go and see. Most, most commonly referenced note, Martin's a cunt, filled out 14 times in the same geographical location. Who's Cherry Tapandama? <laughs> God's sake. Mine's a cunt, but not as big as cunt as Frank Buglioni. I wonder who that could be. (laughs) From Andy. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. So, so honestly, so the Groves Eubank, everyone get in touch with what your plans are. Let's try and make a plan together collectively. Yes, let's do it. Uh, Okay. Uh, Yeah, if you haven't, I mean, kind of seems silly to say it at this point, given how long we've been going now. But if you haven't liked the Facebook page, Please do. Don't, Please I get, don't really update you that often. Don't bother. Get on to, get on to <laughs> don't. Okay. Get on, all right, then. There you go. So, <laughs> correct me. It's a waste of your time and mine. Get, get, <laughs> get on to Twitter, um, at The Seven Wolves, at Newish Boxing UK, and if you really feel the need, at Newish Podfather. Again, iTunes I don't really reviews, update that very always often. Always appreciated as well. Um, and yeah, get in touch with any tips or whatever you want to let us know what you thought about the podcast and you want us to drop, like football commentary, commentary at the Can beginning. Can I go home yet? Um, if you'd like can me you to keep Martin here Fuck. past the pain threshold, then uh, you know oh. we can all drag the podcast on for longer. Um, otherwise, thank you very much for listening. Thank you. We will see you next How week. How long is that fucker? And uh, yeah, Terry will be home about midnight. <laughs> ah, <tonight>. long man. <laughs> <laughs> and the circle comes back round. You love those fucking noodles. Uh, But also, man, Isaac, Lawrence, you guys will both be back bigger and better. Great hugging, though. told you though I never laid my hands on you my eyes adored you oh fuck's sake we just conceded fuck about <laughs> two one down to Liverpool after you know, that came <laughs> Jesus Christ they're not going to like this we've got some listeners who don't like the football bit uh, so you just have to swallow the fact that Harry Kane we have to change penalty. our recording time forth because that pissed me off I'm out I'm out <laughs> <laughs> anyway sorry oh that sucks that sucks. For those of you who don't like football, at least you can understand, you know, if you're if you're win if you're winning on rounds in the twelfth round you've by a clear eight, ten rounds, you've, you've just, just been, been iced. Out. Yeah. And and, and I think iced. I think it's important to remember that it's not easy handing a real hiding to a team from Liverpool. And given that only only real big clubs tend to do that. Given that Liverpool uh given that Tottenham missed a penalty, it's almost like in the eleventh round you knocked the other our opponent down twice and you almost got a TKO but he managed to survive the round and then he knocked you out in yeah. one round. Yeah. Well, best sake. keeper in the world. Right, I'm wow. going to be in a bad mood for this now so carry on. <laughs> carry on. Well, some listeners will be happy to hear that <laughs> because yeah. if you're in a bad mood and you're jacked up on coffee which I've assured... Oh God, here we go. Oh, sit down, Klopp, you penis. <laughs> Klopp has just Fuck broken the penis. world record for the 60 metre sprint. <laughs> By a fucking okay. Nazi. Right. So. Oh. <laughs> standing by it. 
Okay, that's a good start. Uh, welcome to the Nose Boston Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today we have Martin Theobald, who you've just heard <laughs> in all his glory, and in the background, so to Raging. speak, up to this point, Mr. Terry Chapanama. Late fitness test passed. He's 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 made it. Just about. Touch and go. It was very very touch and go. Uh, the clocking up the air miles. Why are you so? Well, where, where do you get the fucking? You don't get fucking train miles, do you? I deserve them. Where do you? What was made you so drained today? Uh, Leeds all week, and then I was in Sheffield Friday, back to London Saturday for Cody Chamberlain. It's funny you then don't I'm look. Here. You don't look ripped after being in Sheffield. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> funny that. Yeah, <laughs> a winter camp. I just. I assumed even if you pass through Sheffield, you lose like half your body weight. Well, apparently, you gain it and you lose it. So, so I had it. <laughs> I, I had it for twenty four hours. As soon as you, <laughs> I made weight for twenty four hours. I made weight, and that was it. <laughs> Once I got past Derby, it was over. 